Hello, welcome, bienvenue, konnichiwa. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 182 on Sunday the 2nd of May. I'm Armish Phil. I'm Armish Matt. And tonight's guest is the author of The Lake Michigan Mothman, High Strangeness in the Midwest, and he's also the co-founder of the Singular 14 Society. Tobias Wayland, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I love your website. Um particularly this uh, singular14.com it is, by the way. And uh, I like this new section you have where, like, every two or three days a little article comes up of some weirdness, some high strangeness, and it's just sort oh. of... Uh, it's, like, enough to digest without being sort of overwhelmed <laughs> because there's so much of this stuff on the internet, isn't there? Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and thank you uh, by by the the way although I have to say really the actual aesthetic for that website um, that was created uh, completely by my my wife and partner Emily and I like to tell people that honestly and and this is you know more more or less true if it wasn't for her I would basically be just like another madman ranting on some cheap blogger site in like green text on a black background or something so anybody who goes to singular40.com and is like wow this looks great that is all Emily. So I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to have her, but yeah, no, that, that new section, thank you uh, again for that. Um, that's something that we take a, a decent amount of pride in, I, I think, because one of the reasons that we started the, the singular 40 and society, one of the reasons that we really focused on, on like paranormal journalism um, was because of the sort of lack of, um, you know, serious journalism in the, the paranormal field, you know, like there isn't a lot of objective reporting on, on this stuff, you know? And, um, and so, you know, if, if we can provide that for people in a format that is enjoyable for them to, uh, uh, you know, experience, then, uh, then that's great. That's exactly what, what we're trying to do. Yeah, do you feel there's quite a lot of sort of sensationalism naturally with the? Uh, I mean, that there has to be surely. Oh yeah, I mean it's uh, it. I would say about at least half of the articles we write on, you know, say some video that's sort of making its way uh, around the internet is because of the the disingenuous way that I've seen it represented within the community. And so I feel like we have an obligation to give people the actual background of it, where it really came from, uh, what people, uh, the, the people who filmed it really said they experienced. And if we don't have that information, then people need to know, mm. you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, you're, you're right. There is a, a lot of sensationalism and, uh, and that kind of due diligence isn't always paid, you know, when it, when it comes to, to these subjects, unfortunately. I guess this is where, I, I guess by calling it the Singular 14 Society, you're sort of drawing on this philosophy from Charles Fort and his writings. Would that be correct? 
and this sort of oh, open, yeah. this sort of open inquiry, being skeptical but open-minded at the same time. Absolutely, um, and that's also the the reason that we don't really uh, specialize in in any one particular area. You know, much like Fort, who said uh, one measures a, a circle beginning anywhere. Uh, we uh, we take that holistic approach to these subjects where we're we're interested in all of it and. And, um, you know, frankly, once you really start to look into uh, these these various phenomena, um, you'll find that they share a lot of similarities. You know, there's there are a lot of uh, narrative uh, uh, similarities, like between really every kind of report that we receive, you know, uh, uh, despite some relatively superficial differences. So, yeah, we we, we definitely take some. uh, inspiration from Fort and, and his work. And it's such a broad subject. It's like, um, even if you just took cryptids, which is like one arm of 14 subjects, I mean, there's another great page on your website where you've got like the index of all the different cryptids that have been collected, you know, anecdotally or or thereof over the years. Um, so, I mean, why Mothman? Why did, what drew you to Mothman in particular? Because, I mean, you could have picked all sorts um, it was purely by chance, actually. Uh, back in the spring of 2017, uh, I saw a trio of winged creature sightings come through the Mutual UFO Network case management system. Um, you know, they were there were three anonymous reports, um, and they all sort of described this this big winged creature in in Chicago. And uh, MUFON had this short article they'd written up about it on their site. And I thought, well, you know, our, our readers would probably be interested in this. And so I, I just wrote a, a short little article based on on that and uh, published it. And I honestly thought that was going to be the the end of it. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. You know, it was just just one. It was just one more article about weird stuff from the the uh, internet, basically. <laughs> um, and so, like that. I mean, that's not what happened, of of course. I mean, and then after that was published, I started seeing more and more of these sighting uh, uh, reports come out, and they were being published to these websites that that, that I wasn't really familiar with, uh, Phantoms and Monsters, and uh, UFO Clearinghouse. And so I thought, well, I mean, you know, if, if I want to do my due diligence, I'd better reach out and talk to these guys and sort of see what, what, what they're getting. And, uh, you know, it was Lon Strickler uh, over at Phantoms and Monsters and Manuel Navarrete over at UFO Clearinghouse. Uh, I, I contacted them both that summer, uh, June and July, respectively, uh, 2017, uh, and, and interviewed them separately. And they were very... Uh, you know, sort of forthright when it, when it came to this subject, um, you're more than willing to talk about their reports. And, and what sort of struck me at that time with them too, was they didn't have any particular narrative that, that they were, excuse me, that, that they were pushing, you know, um, so many people in this field sort of have their, their pet narrative, you know, where this box that they try to fit everything that they come across into. And, and that really wasn't the, the, the case with them. And so, you know, I was, I was impressed by that. Um, and a short time later, you know, as these reports continue to, to come in, uh, you know, we, we discovered that we, we had some mutual friends in the, the community and, uh, you know, I was asked to, uh, to help, 
investigate, you know, because we're not too far away from most of those sightings, uh, especially in the, the Chicago area. And so they asked if if we wouldn't mind, uh, you know, helping with the actual investigation. And then really by that time anyway, we were already receiving our own uh, reports from, from people. And so at, at that point, it really just made sense. And these are sort of very modern sightings. 2017, you're saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, all the way through uh, 2020 at, at, at this point. And then some of the oldest sighting uh, reports that, that we've received, I think the oldest one that I've personally taken uh, goes back to like 1957. Uh, yeah, so basically uh, the late 50s all the way through 2020, people you know have, have been claiming to, to see some kind of, of winged humanoid uh, uh, around the, the Great Lakes region, specifically right around like Lake Michigan. Now, I've, I've not read the Mothman prophecy or seen mm. the film, but does this tie in somehow? Um, you know, I think people who have read Keel's work... Um, well, I guess I, I can't speak for, for literally literally everybody, but I certainly think that that there is a connection. It's certainly a very similar phenomenon, um, and it shares a lot of the uh, the sort of paranormal um, aspects of uh, of what Keel was reporting when when he wrote that book back in the I believe it, when it come out seventy one I think something like that yep. seventy one seventy five somewhere in there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, certainly people are describing this large, black, winged, red-eyed creature, right? Uh, in basically the the same way people were describing the same thing back in the, the mid to late 60s in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So, you know, you, you add to that sort of some of the, um, the, the narrative qualities that people uh, include in their their modern reports like this overwhelming uh, feeling of fear or feeling sort of like struck or hypnotized almost by this thing's eyes and uh, yeah I, I I think the the similarities are are just too many to ignore so are these all these sightings quite close geographically then yeah I mean. Uh, Lake, Lake Michigan is huge, of course, you know, the, the, the Great Lakes are more like inland seas than, yeah. than actual lakes. But um, yeah, it's, it's in a, a, a good few hundred mile radius around Lake Michigan that, that we've received the bulk of these reports. So um, I, I think the reason that I really included uh, like Lake, Lake Michigan is, as far as in the, the, the name and everything is that it was just sort of a convenient geographic point you know I, I don't know that there's any link or anything but uh certainly you know the 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 reports are coming from within you know a, a few hundred miles of this uh, specific great lake well i mean the great lake michigan i mean it sounds like the perfect habitat for a mothman <laughs> do you not say i i suppose i mean i don't know and that actually reminds me of um some of the, the interesting questions I think that, that arise out of this, because you mentioned something like habitat, right? Uh, and if, because there, there, are, there are people who believe that this is some sort of undiscovered, you know, biological species. Um, and, and if you want to believe that, 
you do have to ask questions like, where does it live? What does it eat? How, how does it fly? You know, because you look at, at the description and there's no way that it should be able to actually get off the, the, the ground. I mean, uh, people are describing this thing that's like, you know, seven or eight feet tall with like a 12 foot wingspan, uh, maybe, maybe 15 feet. And frankly, like, even if it had hollow bones, you'd need at least a 20 to 25 foot wingspan to get like a, a person off of the, the, the ground, you know, uh, let alone this seven to eight foot tall monster. Right. So, right. um, where would it, where would it live where people couldn't find it? Right. Like Lake Michigan, does it live underwater? I mean, it, 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 a lot of those things, they just, they, they defy reason, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's 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 a good question, but it, for for me, I think uh, it more than anything, it sort of points towards the the very real possibility that regardless of what it actually is, it it, it is almost certainly not some sort of uh, you know otherwise mundane, undiscovered species. And it's part of the mystery that makes it attractive, isn't it? This is what captures our imagination when there are things that we don't have. Um, suitable or uh, acceptable answers for? Oh, certainly. I mean, I, I think especially with, with Mothman too, and I think we owe a lot of that to John Keel uh, because of what he wrote in the, the Mothman prophecies, because um, really, I mean, Lake, Lake Michigan is also known for, uh, like that whole area is known for everything uh, from UFOs to Thunderbirds, right? And so in the, the same vein as the, the Mothman prophecies, uh, you have all of these seemingly uh, disparate but, um, you know, wondrous phenomena happening in this, this relatively, you know, small geographic area. And it really does spark people's imaginations, you know, on, honestly. And so especially because it's so weird that, you know, like we were uh, just saying, uh, it sort of defies easy explanation by, by any sort of like uh, known biological science. And so that really allows people to, to just go in just whatever crazy direction that, that they want to go with it as far as trying to explain it, you know, to everything from, uh, you know, speculating about parallel universes or, or, you know, multiple dimensions to, uh, you know, extraterrestrials and, and mad science experiments. I mean, it's, it's got everything you could possibly want. Yeah, and the fact that it's, you've got multiple different phenomena being, re- being reported in such a, what would you say, maybe a tight geographical reason, that, that needs an explanation. And there must be an explanation, but the fact that it's happening so closely together, it, it requires one. Oh, certainly. Um, you know, and, and honestly, there are some sightings that uh, that I think do have prosaic explanations. You know, um, certainly I would say just off the top of my head, maybe 40 percent of the sightings we've received could be explained by something like a, a, a large bird. You know, uh, specifically in the Chicago area, if you look at the like migratory patterns of like great blue herons, you know, through, through that area, um, having been affected by, you know, climate change and the the destruction of of their, their wetland habitats, um, 
you know, you've got more herons in that area for longer periods of time than you used to even, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, by, you know, in, in, in order of magnitude, really, like there's quite a few more. And so, you know, I, I really developed a couple of different profiles for these sightings where you've got this first profile where, you know, it's somebody who saw something big that was flying and they didn't really see it for very long and it wasn't particularly close and they didn't make out uh, a lot of good details. And maybe they even have uh, a few details in there that sound an awful lot like a bird. Like some people would describe having heard uh, this sort of screech like uh, uh, train breaks. Right. Right. And literally anybody at all can go online right now, go to YouTube, Google like great blue heron noises or something. And I, that's literally what they sound like. I mean, it's it's yeah. uh, it's 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 a perfect match. And so, I think part of the sightings, or or, or some of the sightings rather, um, are misidentifications. You know, but then you've got this other profile that just literally couldn't possibly be where. Uh, you've got people describing something that they're seeing on the, the ground maybe, or, you know, flying relatively close. They have more specific details like the glowing red eyes, or they're, they're able to make out, uh, you know, more specific details regarding the, the creature's wings or, or, you know, uh, different limbs that, that, you know, a bird wouldn't have like uh, humanoid arms and legs, things like that. Um, and, and those are the ones where people will often report the, like, seemingly paranormal aspects as well. Um, you know, the, the overriding fear, the, uh, you know, possible, like, feeling hypnotized. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll uh, experience some sort of uh, psychic phenomenon, or sometimes people will be plagued with, like, uh, 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 haunting phenomena after uh, some some kind of event like that after the sighting, uh, so it goes on. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've had people report. Um, there was a lady. Now this wasn't around Lake Michigan, but uh, there was a lady out in uh, Maryland actually. Who and this was an, an interesting one to me. After her and her son had seen something like that on their way home, run uh, one night they had this radio that had worked perfectly prior to this. But after their sighting, uh, she said that it would just turn itself on randomly. Um, and we had, uh, I had a lady uh, up here in Madison, actually, uh, which is uh, where, where we live. Uh, and, and that is sort of in the, within the, um, the Lake Michigan uh, area. And so there, uh, that lady actually described this whole series of, of weird haunting events surrounding like her mother seeing this, you know, black winged red eyed monster. And so she would talk about how they would uh, hear a baby crying in their apartment and, and there was no baby and they couldn't find any source for it, or they would be sleeping at night and uh, they would hear what sounded like somebody throwing everything out of all of their cupboards, you know, like all their dishes and everything crashing to the floor and, and they would go running out and nothing was disturbed. Like, like just literally, like literally nothing had happened. And so you, you take Mothman out of that and, you know, most people would look at it and say, Oh, well your house was haunted, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you add Mothman in and uh, I don't, it, it gets a, it gets a little weirder, certainly. And I think sort of in the, the tradition of Charles Fort, um, you know, we, uh, we, we can't necessarily just uh, put 
each of those into its little box and pretend like there's there there's no relationship. Yeah, these things deserve open-minded yet skeptical inquiry, which is what you're here to do. Oh, and, uh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's and and that goes back sort of to the the uh, the way we. Uh, report on things. You know, most of these articles that I, I've written about the, the Lake Michigan Mothman, um, you know, they, they've been written journalistically. And so I try to be uh, uh, as objective as possible, certainly. And I, I leave my opinion out of it. You know, I, I want to give people all of the facts that we have and, and uh, everything we were able to, to confirm. And then as far as like what I think it is, well, you know, you can buy, you know, buy, buy, our book or something, if you care about that. But if you just want the actual facts of the, the, the case as, as we have them so far, then that's, you know, mostly published in, in our, our articles. Just going to, to the book for a minute. I mean, how, how did the book work? Was it like, is it like a compilation of, of these accounts or how's, how have you uh, structured it? Sure. So really the, the impetus behind me writing it was, um, I had seen so much misinformation on the internet. I mean, that's what the, the, the internet does. It's, it's a giant misinformation machine. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I could try to set, you know, a thousand people straight on various forums and social media sites every single day for the rest of my life, or <laughs> I can write this book and say, okay, well, this is everything that's that's gone into this investigation. This is this is how it happened. This is how it was investigated. This is all of the information we have so far. Uh, you know, do with it what you will. And then, you know, every time it comes up, I can just like, well, did you read the book? Because it's literally all in there. Mm. Right. So you're going through, and are these uh, historical accounts as well, or just the accounts that you've um, investigated personally? It's everything that uh, sort of fell under the umbrella of the uh, the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation. And so that's pretty much everything published since we started getting into it in, in uh, 2017. And so uh, there are quite a few reports taken by, by Lon, quite a few taken by Manuel, and then, you know, quite a few taken by, by us as well. Um, but I didn't include anything that hadn't been uh, uh, investigated or reported on by by one of us three, basically. So, um, although I I would say you know I I, I didn't exclude anything on purpose. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see any historical reports or anything that hadn't um, been investigated or or reported on by by one of us anyway. So I would certainly have, have been interested to see that if if they existed. Yeah, I mean. As far as these different accounts and these uh, witness testimonies you take and, and whatnot, what would be some of the most compelling ones that you've heard? Oh, sure. Um, there's there's quite a few. Uh, to me, you know, well, I guess first of all, I would want to emphasize to people that, um, you know, whatever like image i think that people form in their minds of the kind of person who reports this this kind of thing just get rid of it um because it could be literally anybody literally anybody they could work in your office uh they might be the server at your restaurant uh they might go to your church you could pass them in the grocery store you wouldn't look at them twice i promise um and that to me has been one of the most compelling aspects uh is the the just 
relative normality of all of the, the, the witnesses, you know, like we're not talking about, um, you know, a, a, a bunch of uh, weirdos who look like they just walked out of a sixties era, like contact E convention, you know, like it's just, <laughs> they could be literally anybody. Um, and so some of the most interesting cases we've received, I, I, I know that uh, there was one in Woodstock and this one really stuck with Emily and, and I both honestly, um, because these particular people were some of the most uh, just genuine and welcoming uh, uh, folks that we really uh, ever had the opportunity to go and visit with and, and, and everything. But beyond that, they are both professionals and they had a lot to lose by, by talking to us, frankly. And so this particular sighting was uh, February, 2019 Woodstock, Illinois. Um, a man was uh, driving home from Walgreens. He had, he had gone down to the drugstore to, to pick up some milk, of all things. And that's most people, too. Like, honestly, it's usually people just going about their business and then running headlong into this impossible whatever it is. Um, so anyway, you know, he's, he's out running this perfectly mundane errand, just picking up milk. And he's driving home, and he's driving past the Dewfield Pond Conservation Area, which is, um, you know, it's a relatively uh good sized like wetlands conservation area it's got some some woods and stuff and uh as he's going past the entrance he sees or as he's coming up on the entrance he sees something step out into the road in front of him and he described it as this um huge you know like seven or eight feet tall at least uh hairy humanoid with these large leathery wings coming out of its back and uh it's it's dark out it was like 8 p.m in february so you know it had been dark out for a couple hours at that point um and so he really only saw it uh in in his headlights for the several seconds that it took for it to walk out in front of him and, and cross the road um and then it was it was basically gone on the other side of that road uh is the McHenry county um uh fairgrounds and so it's like a pretty wide open field and then there's some woods and like it gets like more rural and, and stuff uh beyond that and so like you know he sees it cross in front of him and, it, and he watches it as it you know goes off the, the the road on the other side and then he loses it um and uh, and, and and that was a sighting and uh and he went out the next day he and his wife and um you know, like they were poking around and, and they thought maybe they, they found like this weird footprint, but you know, it had been corrupted by, by other people's prints at that point, because there were, you know, like people would go back into that conservation area. People walk their dogs there and stuff. And so there's one print that they thought they had found. And it looked to me like, you know, some people had stepped on it with their, their boots or whatever. And so there, that wasn't as compelling as maybe it could have been. Um, so I mean, what was did they talk to you about, like the the frame of mind when this was happening? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I'll 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 definitely get get to that. I oh, guess. sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's it's. I'm it's thinking because okay. I, I, I would it. I would be shitting my pants to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and 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 that's fair. And he he was, you know, frankly, yeah. I mean, he was. This was a very powerful event for for this man you know um he was on his own he wasn't with his wife in the car was he not no she was she was at at, at home so he, right. he saw it by himself um but yeah you know I, I talked to him on the phone first 
And, uh, you know, I, I was able to convince him that, uh, you know, maybe Emily and I should come down and, and take a look around and stuff. And, and, uh, he agreed to that. And so, yeah, like we showed up, I, I met him. Uh, we, we, we met his wife. They're wonderful people. They were nice enough to take us out to the, the area. Uh, I did find a really weird footprint that looked like a giant bear, you know, human footprint, um, which was bizarre, but it was just one single print, which I, I, I thought was weird. So I, I didn't know what to make of that, but you know, I documented it and, um, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right in terms of the effect that this had on, on this witness. Um, yeah, of course he was scared, you know, uh, yeah, he had seen something that defies, well, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, like endlessly, it really just defied all reason. Like he couldn't make sense of it because it didn't make any sense. Um, and so, yeah, he was, he was shaken by that. Certainly. Um, I think he wanted to, uh, be able to, um, express himself. You know, he wanted in an outlet where he could discuss his sighting because, you know, these have a real effect on people. You know, and so he was sort of torn between wanting to find people who would listen to him and the fear of this sighting getting out and, and, you know, ruining their lives, basically. Um, and so, you know, of, of course, they in, insisted on, on anonymity and I, right. I didn't blame them. You know, like uh, I was <laughs> I was fine with that, frankly, considering. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it, it was powerful. And it's one thing. And I, I say this a lot. Um, but it's it's true, and it's one thing to read about these sightings online or you know in my book or wherever. It is a whole nother animal to be face to face with another adult who is you know sweating, terrified to tell you about something that you know happened days ago or weeks ago, um, but has affected them so much that in broad daylight. Um, they're still afraid to, to talk about it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a powerful, it, it, excuse me, experience. And um, it's difficult to relate that, I think, to, to, to people because, you know, people hear like a winged, well, in this case, like a winged Bigfoot or something. And, you know, they're going to laugh a little bit. Like the, some people snicker because it sounds, you know, it sounds crazy, but I mean, it, it is what it is. And I don't think this guy was lying. I, if he was, I can't figure out why, because he sure as hell didn't get anything out of it. So this is someone with like a, a high social standing, a res- someone who's respected. I mean, I presume, do you not name their occupations or anything? Is it complete anonymity? Yeah, I mean, given the the size of this town, um, right? Yeah, you know, if it, I wanted to leave out any identifiable yeah, characteristics, really anything that anybody could use, yeah, you know. So I I, I could say I can say uh, his wife was a uh, uh, or still is, I think uh, she has a, 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 a job in like city government. Like she was a, a, she's a politician on some level. And so, you know, I mean, literally could be a career ending, ending kind of uh, event for her. And uh, yeah, it's just, do you know, do you know what's the most, what struck me listening to that story hmm. is you mentioned that the guy is in his truck on his own and then he sees this thing in the road and then he goes home and then the, the the pair of them go out the next day 
to look for verification, to look for evidence. Yeah. And if I went to the supermarket and got home and said to my wife, I've just seen a Bigfoot with wings. Uh, we need to go out tomorrow morning and look for evidence. <laughs> um, she would laugh if balls off at me. I mean, that's that, what that's, usually happens. That speaks yeah, volumes to me. That speaks absolute yeah. volumes to me about how seriously this couple took it. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because um, the most common narrative that I receive from witnesses and why most people don't discuss their, their sightings uh, is what will happen is they'll have this, this sighting, you know, it could be a Bigfoot, UFO, Mothman, whatever. Um, and they, they want to tell somebody, you know, this is a, a powerful event, uh, sometimes traumatic, frankly. And like, they want to tell somebody. So they go to a loved one, could be a spouse, sibling, parent, whatever, right. Um, close friend. And they'll tell them And this person that, that they trusted this person that they want to confide in, they just laugh at them, you know, and that's devastating for, for people. And so they, they shut up about it and they don't talk about it again until they find somebody like me. Um, who will who will actually take them seriously? And so I think that that like that particular case very much benefited from the fact that uh, his wife did take him seriously, and she didn't react like so many other people do in that situation, where you know they they just kind of laugh at somebody who who needs them to listen. And I think this is maybe an advantage you have to bias with having the singular fourteen society behind you, in that when you approach people or they approach you, you can at least direct them to this thing, which shows, you know, you've got your sort of, um, well, I was going to try and speak Latin then. Was it modus operandi? I'm getting the words wrong, I think. Um, you know, yeah, that of, sounds right. I mean, like your mission statement, like, you know, it, yeah. it's like, um, rather than just some, some random bloke saying, I collect weird stories, you know, <laughs> you've got this sort of, this, this, um, what would you say? Like a legitimacy behind your research. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, the, most people don't use legitimacy in the same sentence as Mothman very often. And so I, I appreciate you doing that, honestly. But uh, no, thank you. I, I, I think that we do try very hard to cultivate um, an atmosphere of professionalism and to make it clear yeah. that we approach at. this um, from an experiential standpoint. You know, that is to say, um, you know, like it or not, really, most of what we have uh, in terms of, of evidence is the, the testimony of people who said they've experienced something. And, and we can do whatever we can to uh, corroborate that, you know, by, by following up and, and sort of verifying the details that, that are capable of being verified. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is about people experiencing something. And, uh, and what we need to do, uh, I think, in order to gain a, a better understanding of it, and really just as human beings, frankly, um, is treat those people with respect and, and take them seriously and sort of consider the effect that these things have, have had on them. You know, and so yeah, we we, we try to be very upfront about that. Yeah, to make people comfortable. Because you, you managed, you, you mentioned before, some people have have had uh, this has been a traumatic incident in their lives. Maybe you could explain a bit more about that sort of the longer lasting effects that people have had. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I honestly going back to the the uh, woman in in Madison um, that I, I I spoke with and her mother and sort of the effect that this has had on their family. I mean. Um, 
her mother is still terrified to this day of this event. You know, she, she claimed to have seen this, this black winged red eyed monster twice. And, um, and it was very much sort of the situation that uh, I, I discussed before where, you know, she, she told her family about it and her husband, I think, um, you know, he didn't really come out and say that he believed her, but he at least was a good enough husband not to, you know, openly mock her or anything. But the rest of, of her family, um, they, they really just made fun of her and, and would joke about it. And um, of course it had in, in, effect on her you know she didn't want to talk about it anymore but it was this thing that that terrified her you know she she was afraid for years of of seeing this again and and she felt like she didn't really have anybody to confide in and that happens all the time i mean i had a guy out in uh mcwanago wisconsin which is a a rural community outside of milwaukee and uh and i talked to him uh, and, you know, Emily and I went out and, and he showed us around his sighting area and everything. And this was one where, again, um, you know, he's a grown man and he's telling us about this sighting he had. And um, he's just visibly shaken. And it's, it's broad daylight on like a, a mid morning on a beautiful spring day. And, you know, he's just just sweating, uh, uh, relating this story to us. And um it's just sad, frankly, you know, it, 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 uh, it breaks my heart some to see these people so visibly afraid, you know, and, and often the fear is not just the experience itself. It's, um, they're afraid it's going to happen again. They're, they're, they're afraid it's going to come back and, you know, and I don't blame them. I mean, this guy saw it outside of his house. So what was, what was that sighting like? Sure. So this, uh, this guy, he was coming home. It was relatively late one night and he's talking to his friend on his cell phone. And at, at that time he lived with his parents in McGuanago, Wisconsin. And, um, like I said, it's, it's a relatively rural area. So the houses are pretty spaced out and they have sort of a, a longer, uh, gravel driveway with this larger area at the end of it where you can kind of turn around and park. And so he had pulled into the the, the driveway and he had turned around and backed in. So he's facing the the road. And the only light out there was this lamppost about 50 feet away uh, at at the, uh, the the edge of the road at the end of of their driveway. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he decides he's talking to his friend on the phone and he decides he's going to stay outside in his van and just finish this conversation rather than try to take it into the house and wake his parents up. And um, so he's talking to his friend. And at some point during that conversation, you know, he's just kind of looking out the, the windshield in front of him um, as he's talking. Uh, he sees this silhouette standing in, in, in front of his, his van. Um, and he notices it because it's sort of backlit by the ambient light from that, that lamppost. Uh, his and headlights. So, his headlights are off. I take it. Right. Yeah. So he, yeah. he he had turned the car off and yeah. the headlights were off and everything. Um, and so he sees this silhouette, and he's like, "Well, you know what? What the hell is this?" And he and then he turns the headlights on, and he sees what he described as I believe his exact words were a oh boy what what, what was it? It was like a bat dragon. <sighs> Something. Yeah, I swear. And, well, and, and, and this is a whole nother area of like interest. 
with people struggling to describe this stuff, you know what I mean? Where you get these, these phrases that people come up with and you're like, you know, uh, some of them do sound a, a little silly sometimes, but so he turns his headlights on and, and, you know, when he elaborated on that to me, what he really described it as was this sort of scaly skinned, uh, you know, eight foot tall humanoid, uh, creature and it had these sort of large black eyes and uh, he said it had these membranous wings. So think like kind of bat wings, right? Sort of wrapped around itself. Oh, uh, my so it, God. You know. Yeah, and it's it's standing there. And at that point, like, he's telling his friend about it. And his friend thinks he's just giving him the, the business, you know? Like, at first, his friend is just like, you know, like, like you're kidding, right? But, you know, I, I, I think he, he did convince him at a certain point, like, no, I'm really seeing something, and this is this is insane. Um, and his friend did later corroborate, you know, like, well, yeah, he did tell me he saw this. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he sees this thing and standing there maybe uh, six, maybe eight feet in, in front of the, the van. Um, and he looks at it, and, and, and this, you know, last seconds, obviously. It's not standing there for like 10 minutes or anything. <laughs> you, you know, it wasn't like long enough for him to get out and ask it what it wanted. Uh, and so it's standing there in his headlights, and he said it sort of blurred uh, and disappeared. And he wasn't sure if that meant that it had moved faster than his eye could track, if that meant it literally like teleported or something. I, I Who knows? But, um, yeah, that, that was his experience. Um, and again, this is a guy like we met, I, I went, we went out to his house and, uh, and he showed us everything and certainly everything was where he said it was as far as things we were able to, uh, you know, confirm right. about the details of the sighting. How soon so, after did you, did you arrive to, to investigate? This one was a little longer, actually. Um, I want to say with him, his sighting had actually been in the spring of 2017, but we didn't hear about it from him until the spring of 2018, I believe. And then, which is even more impressive because it was still scaring the crap out of him, you know, a whole year later. Um, The, the Woodstock sighting, we, we got down there relatively quickly. I think it was a week or two later. You yeah, know, and you're reliant on on when you get the reports as well. Aren't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's not much I can do about that. No. Obviously. Wow, and he was still sorry, Matt. Go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, you know, like when you were talking about the different ways that it's been reported as moving. So, like that last guy said, it sort of blurred and and disappeared, and then like was it the one in Woodstock where he said it it tracked across the road? Is there kind of a common theme around? Because it's one thing to see this, have this image of, you know, uh, a seven, eight foot tall man with red eyes and wings or whatever um, in front of you. But then how does it move away from people? Is it like a common theme towards that? Yeah, most people, I think, uh, either see it in flight or it, it takes off in flight you know, right. during, during their, their sighting. Um, okay. it I think flies, what, sorry, it flies off during the sighting. <laughs> Cause we have that. Yeah. I mean, people have, have reported that, um, where they'll see it and then, uh, you know, it's, uh, it'll spread its wings and just take off. Um, I think more common is people seeing it already in flight. Um, that's probably the most common, mm. um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, every once in a while you'll get one 
well, least common, I think, is probably Woodstock, where he saw it walking. Mm-hmm. You know, that isn't that isn't reported as as common. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, most most commonly, uh, it would be reported either as flying or then or maybe during the sighting itself, uh, they'll see it. You know, spread its wings and take off. Sometimes without flapping its its wings, where it'll just seemingly just kind of take off like a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. And so the going back to the driveway one, other than the um, flickering out at the end, he didn't see it move. It just stood there. It just appeared, did it, and stood there? Or he he only noticed it? I don't know. He only noticed it. So it it could have just appeared. Uh, It could have walked up. Who knows? Like he he was on on the phone, and I don't think he was paying attention. He was paying uh, like attention necessarily. Yeah, until he kind of looked up and noticed this thing there. Wow, that's wild. I mean, it I must just be absolutely terrifying. Because, I mean, you, you obviously know from talking to these people, as far as far as you're concerned, these people absolutely believe what they have seen. What, whatever the explanation might be, they are absolutely convinced that they've seen something. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no reason to believe that anybody with whom I have spoken... Uh, was attempting to to lie or or hide anything. Um, they, they certainly don't get anything out of it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not like you know, like we're not paying for reports or anything. You know, like there's obviously that would be a huge conflict of interest. Um, so yeah, I think most of the people. Uh, I I believe the reason that they're sharing these stories is because they they need to. You know, it's, it's, if nothing else, it's a sort of cathartic release. I think it's, it's a comfort to be able to, to share them with people, you know, who aren't just going to laugh at them. Have you Um, had any, um, any sort of historical reports where someone has come forward recently who's seen something years and decades ago? Because, I mean, we had Terry Lovelace on a couple of months ago who had a, an abduction experience back in the seventies and it wasn't until decades later that he he felt that he needed to get this out is this something you've come across oh certainly uh quite a few i mean uh the the oldest one was from 1957 there was a guy named gerald therese who uh, reached out to us and uh he said that he was out hunting um in in illinois i forget the the name of the town i'd have to look it up but uh, he was out hunting and he saw this giant uh, winged bird man thing uh, as as he was out hunting. It was a it was a pretty quick sighting, um, but it didn't really share many. I mean, it was in it was uh, it was during the the, the day, so he, he got a pretty decent look at it. But of course, you know, he reached out to us in uh, well, I want to say it was just last year. So you know, some quite a bit of time had passed between his experience and and when he related it to us. Um, yeah. And so you know, he was very upfront about that. You know, he was like, "Look, this is everything I can remember from when it happened. I didn't think that anybody else has ever seen anything like this, and so I didn't want to share it because <laughs> it just seemed too weird." Yeah. Uh, but then he, you know, he'd seen one of our our other articles and was like, "Well, you know, obviously, you know, I can talk to these people." Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, that's the oldest one I've received. What's interesting about Gerald too, is 
he had uh, subsequently uh, a UFO sighting when he was in the uh, army. So he was at this missile base where he was stationed um, just south of Chicago. And he had this, this UFO sighting, like he's on guard duty and, uh, and he sees this, um, you know, like saucer shaped craft with, you know, a, a ring of lights around it. And, you know, he, he called his, his duty commander and, and everything and like reported it. And it was investigated by project blue book. Um, and he said, uh, he told me that he had received a call, uh, uh, a couple days later from somebody claiming to be J. Allen Hynek, who then told him that, uh, this isn't going to be verbatim. I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it, it, it amounted to, uh, somebody calling him, um, claiming to be J. Allen Hynek and saying like, Hey, I was told to tell you that that was just in advertising airplane, you know? Yeah. And so, and I was like, well, that sounds very Project Blue Book from back then because they very much wanted to just sort of sweep UFOs under the rug, find, you know, prosaic explanations for everything, whether they fit or not. Um, and it's, and, 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 and the fact that it was uh, investigated by Blue Book was something I, w- I was able to verify because that's all, you know, public info. No. And so, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's in their records that they they did investigate his, his UFO sighting. But um, that's just one of the the connections that that pop up in in this investigation. You know, like I'm not saying that those events are connected, but I do think it's interesting that this guy saw this, you know, Mothman, whatever, and then uh, a few years later in you know, the relatively, well, relatively the, the, the same geographic area, you know, some miles apart, but still, uh, you know, he's, he sees this, this UFO. We had another guy, um, Jonathan Lane in Rockford, Illinois, who uh, contacted us recently about a sighting he, he had in 2016. This isn't historical, but it's, it's very similar where he saw this large black red eyed winged creature and in the same spot, a couple years later, he sees this this weird, like luminous UFO. This is an interesting sort of correlation, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't without yeah. getting into what the explanations might be, because uh, you can take it various different ways. But the fact that people, the same people, are seeing seeing different phenomena, but in a similar location, that's weird. It's definitely weird. Uh, I spoke to uh, another lady named Paula out in Wakanda, Illinois, and Wakanda. Said, Wakanda. Yeah, no, it's it's not spelled the the, the same. No, yeah, sorry. Like it's it's yeah. It's there's there, there's there's no Black Panther because they've got they've got loads of alien tech in Wakanda. I know, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so in 2014, she saw this weird beam of light. She said she was in her apartment and, uh, she was looking out the, the window and she saw this weird beam of light come down, like across the, the street. And so it wasn't you know, like she looked and it wasn't from a helicopter or anything. And, uh, it just kind of like shone around a little bit. And then began to retract. And then she said it came back down really quickly. And she was terrified because she was like, oh, it must have seen that, like, I saw it and maybe it was coming back for me. And so she kind of, like, falls out of her seat at that point. Uh, but then it just kind of, like, retracts again and, and, and 
disappears, but she said it was totally silent. Um, it didn't look like a, um, you know, like a searchlight or anything like that. It really, it looked almost like a solid light cone or something. <laughs> and, uh, which was weird enough, but then two years later, uh, in that same spot, she was taking her garbage out early one morning and in the exact same place where she had seen that beam two years prior, she said she saw something that looked like this uh, huge hunched over like hairy humanoid with these big uh, leathery wings. And she said that it started moving towards her, but the way she described it moving and actually I, I wish I would have thought of this when, when Matt brought it up the, the first time before too, but this was one of the more interesting ways somebody described this thing as moving is mm-hmm. she said that when it came towards her, it didn't look like, it uh, it was, you know, like striding forward. It looked like somebody moving through a strobe light where it just kind of made these these little jumps towards oh. her, like appearing and disappearing, right? Um, and so she's terrified, obviously. And she, like, turns around. She's fumbling with her keys to get back into her apartment building. And she's, like, she finally gets the key in lock and turns it and gets the door open. And she's sure this thing has to be right behind her. You oh, know? Like, my God. Absolutely sure of it. And she turns around, and there's nothing there. It's it's just gone. And so, you know, she goes inside and, just, you know. No, but that what, that's what happens is when she turns around inside the apartment block and it's there. That's yeah. There you in go. The horror, that's that's, that's what, the jump scare. That would yeah. be the yeah the, the Hollywood ending <laughs> to that story. That sounds similar to the guy on these uh, gravelly drives, doesn't it? The flickering and the what she yeah, strobing kind of thing. And that that was. Did you say that was early morning as well? That she was taking the garbage out. Yeah, I was. I was like five or six a.m. So it was daylight. That time of year, it might. Have been. It, I'm trying to think of what time of year that that took place. I think it might have been early spring, um, so it would have been gloomy at right. least. It wouldn't wouldn't have been bright. Because I would have thought maybe a common thing was uh, with a lot of these sighting type events is that they happen at night. Most often, I mean, Gerald's was was during the the, the day. Um, I think a good amount of the misidentifications happen during the, the uh, day, honestly. But uh, yeah, I think most commonly, certainly most commonly, with the uh, the potentially paranormal sightings, uh, yeah, you're, you're you're talking about nighttime sightings. You know, in in the book, do you sort of put any theories or possible explanations for each case in the book, or do you leave it well, open? I, yeah. Um, well, no, I I, I I definitely do. I mean, there are some that are demonstrably, you know, large birds. And I, I'm always going to point that out. Um, you know, uh, I'm well, sort of like what we were talking about before, um, you know, I'm really doing a disservice to the, the community. If I pretend like something is weird when it's not Yeah, sure. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, any, anytime I felt comfortable, you know, because I, I had enough evidence to really point towards one explanation or another, uh, I, I definitely do do mention that, um, you know, and, and I, I I do enjoy getting into some of the the speculative discussion. I think about the actual paranormal stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't have 
any definitive answers, obviously. Um, and so I don't really have a, a very strong stance, you know, one, one way or another regarding what it, it might be if, if there really is something, you know, unusual going on there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like to speculate. I, I think there's a, uh, an interesting connection uh, between this phenomenon and probably very, very many, uh, you know, paranormal phenomena from UFOs to ghosts to, to Bigfoot to whatever that sort of interacts uh, directly with human consciousness certainly seems to be connected to that in, in some way and the, the manipulation thereof, you know? Oh, um, now, now I thought you were going to say human psychology, but you chose the word consciousness, which is a, has a different connotation. So what what are you you know if we ask you to speculate what are you what are you sort of getting at with the with the manipulation sure. of consciousness right um so i what what that really means to me is i don't know that um everything that's sort of reported as as being physically present is necessarily physically present in in the way we would conceive of it you know yep. Um, you know, and, and I think that when you start uh, talking to witnesses who uh, will will report things like, you know, like that fear that I, I, I brought up, some, or Paula, for instance, described specifically feeling a palpable sense of evil when, when she saw like this, this thing. And so that to me speaks to something happening on uh, uh, a, a non-physical level. Like there's some uh, sort of immaterial phenomenon um, that has a real effect on people. You know, sometimes people will report being afraid prior to their, their sighting. That's what I was going to say. Like, uh, you know, when uh, a common thing with haunted houses is they feel the temperature drop. Uh, so like a preemptive um, feeling. So this is something that you've you've got from witnesses that there's a preemptive effect. Yeah, there was a a, a man. Th- this is the the case that that comes to mind immediately. There's a man in uh, Waukegan, Illinois, which is just north of Chicago. Uh, this was back in the '70s, and he had uh, gone out to this you know relatively uh, isolated parking lot to to help his his friend uh, jumpstart his car battery. So his friend's car battery was dead and he went out there to, to, to jump it. And, um, he's out there with his friend in this parking lot and there are some, uh, like silos nearby. And as you know, he's setting the, the jumper cables up and everything, like he just becomes terrified and he has no idea why just all of a sudden, you know, he's just inexplicably afraid. And so he looks around and he sees, this uh, black winged red eyed thing, like staring at them from some distance. And at that point, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to keep trying to jump this car. He's like, no, we got to get the hell out of here right now. And, uh, and they jump into his car and, and take off. And um, yeah, he said that the, uh, this thing came down, like swooped at the car and scratched their car up. What? Um, and it, right. And I, well, I got this from his daughter who said that she remembered it happening when she was a teenager because he came home and was visibly like shaken. And he showed her this, like she saw the scratches on his car. So, so, I mean, there, there is some, I think some level of physicality to this. 
I just think that there's some, there, there certainly is some, uh, uh, interaction, you know, with human consciousness as well, because, you know, you get things like these seeming, you know, seemingly psychic phenomena or something associated with them. Yeah, because I mean that. In fact, that that story is a mix of the two, isn't it? Because he has the feeling of dread or evil preemptively, and then right. there is a seemingly a physical interaction as well. So that's both two for one, baby. It's it. Yeah, it's bizarre, and 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 it's not. It's difficult to explain because you know, on on the one hand, if you want to say that it is, um, you know, this entirely paranormal entity that is just projecting itself into people's minds. Well, how does it do things like leave a footprint or, or scratch a car? You know, like it's got to be some combination, seemingly. Yeah, I, I guess this goes into the sort of intimate, interdimensional theory or aspect of this. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I, I if think you were that, to speculate, you know. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think whatever it is, yeah, like there, there. If it is happening as reported, you know, if if we're willing to assume that, then there absolutely has to be some aspect to it that goes beyond our current understanding of uh, of like the physical sciences. Yeah. And what is what what are we up to? I think can't we account for six percent of all matter and energy in the universe thus far? Mm. I don't even know if it's that much, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's something. It's in the low. It's a handful. So yeah, there are many mysteries. There's a lot. We I think we kid ourselves in our modern society. We think we know it all, and uh, I think we we're in danger of becoming un- unstuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, certainly. Um, what are you working on at the moment, Tobias? Are you uh, any current projects? Um, more yeah. books in the offing? Going to write more books? What's going on? Sure. So currently, uh, we are getting ready to film a, a documentary on the Lake Michigan Mothman case. Cool. We're doing that with uh, small small town monsters. So, uh, if anybody's not familiar with small town monsters' work, like definitely check out their documentaries. They're fantastic. Uh, so at the end of May, we're going to film on the trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman. Um, I am currently working on my, my second book, uh, strange tales of the impossible. Uh, it's going to feature not just winged humanoids because we really do investigate a lot of things other than that. Um, and so this is a good opportunity to talk about the, the wide variety of, uh, of things that, that we have investigated so far. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> and I think that is on track to be released this July. Uh, I want to get it out before we appear at the haunted America conference, certainly. So yeah, we're working hard to make that happen. Cool. Any, uh, any snally in the new book? no i i don't think that's a thing that people (laughs) actually see i mean i it's a great story and who doesn't want to see like this tentacle winged monstrosity just just, yeah no it's uh yeah that's a good one we have that on on our website too i i I remember digging up old uh, newspaper articles to to write that and they uh they are a hoot my uh, my favorite, which I was telling the kids about at tea time, is the uh, slide rock bolter. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta watch out for those. Yeah, if uh, if any of you listening have seen the movie Tremors, and uh, you had nightmares as a kid, 
maybe don't go to singular14.com and look up slide rock bolters <laughs> because there's uh, some parallels there, definitely. <laughs> well, Tobias, uh, it's been great. We, we need to wrap up. We're knocking up on time already. Yeah. Where's it, it gone? It flies by. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, been great to meet you. Um, don't yeah, forget. thank you. You too. All the, uh, all the links will be in this, the description, eavesdroppers. Don't forget to check out the website, check out Tobias's book, and um, we'll say uh, just hang on the line for two minutes while we play ourselves out, Tobias, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Don't touch that dial. Right, then we're back. The Dwarf. And the mother of madness. Oh, nailed yeah. it. Nailed it. Yeah, actually did. Yeah, that was our chat with Tobias Wayland from the Singular mm. 14 Society. Go mm. to singular14.com, link in the description. It's a great website. They have mm. um, some really cool videos of um, bolides, meteors from the UK. Oh, right, um, okay. Like that, have been caught on dash cams and uh, ring doorbell cams and whatnot. Uh, in one of the recent news articles, there's like an article every few days. It's it's good, mm. worth checking out. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. Tobias. He was good. I did. Yeah. I mean, this it's there's something happening. <laughs> there is something going on, and uh, it requires. I imagine. I always think of things to ask as soon as the guest has left but i imagine that you have to treat each case on its own merits and mm-hmm. each case will have a menu of potential explanations and mm-hmm. it will it will just differ won't it case to case basis you know yeah some of them are, are just defy explanation and that's what makes them intriguing it's what we all love a mystery don't we exactly yeah yeah uh, is someone missing this week no, no, not are they? No, I don't think so. No, no. It's just um, you look bigger on the Zoom display. No, it's al- yeah, it's almost I, as if someone isn't here. Yeah, but I think it's probably just a little bit funnier. <laughs> right then, let's do some housekeeping. If we must. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. You're a lion, dog-faced pony soldier. This is a value for value podcast. <laughs> if you find this podcast valuable, what's so funny about that? It's where I shout "go" at the end. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. okay, you I probably can't you hear it that. that well in your I end. You, yeah, I thought you were just, you know. Um, laughing at the fact we're a value for value podcast, eking out an, an earning, <coughs> not even an earning, scratching subsistence. Well, <coughs> it is true. We are a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. And there's a myriad of ways of doing this. Um, iTunes reviews are good. Yeah. Um, tell uh, people, word of mouth, tell people if they like the show. Likes, comments. Yep. Sharing on your social media platform of your poison of choice. Maybe if you're a guest, sharing the fact you've been on the podcast would be good. (laughs) If you're not too ashamed. Yeah. (laughs) Ashamed. 
doesn't make you cringe too bad like the Grinch. Yeah, but and it really bothers me. It bothers some people. I think they don't like showing. Yeah, I bet you any money, Andrew Shatkin shared it everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, what else? Subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, yeah. but more importantly, subscribe to the Odyssey channel. And I thought we've not, I've never actually explained how it works. So I think maybe I should explain how Odyssey works to people who've not been on it. Okay. That might be useful. I mean, it's a video platform like YouTube. Um, similar layout. You've got like buttons, dislike buttons. You subscribe and then you get notifications if you choose when someone uploads a video. Two big differences with Odyssey and YouTube. First difference is they don't censor you. Video creators, content creators, they don't censor. So everyone who you used to like on YouTube, who's not there anymore, maybe you like the Corbett Report, or uh, even Marlon Baker had to set up an Odyssey channel for fear of censorship. All these guys, uh, Last American Vagabond, whoever whoever you can think of who's been censored on YouTube, they're pretty much all of them. Ivor Cummings has an Odyssey channel. So that's the one big difference with Odyssey. And the second, which is the game changer, is the crypto angle, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So when you sign up for an Odyssey account with an email address and verify your account, I think I used my phone number, I think, to verify who I was. You then have a chance to earn rewards by using the platform. And the first reward that you get is a daily uh, watch reward. Yeah. So when you watch a video and you only have to watch two seconds of it, you get a little crypto bung from, is it point two of a library coin up to, I think, 100 library coins, which is about 25 quid. Yeah. Uh, the biggest one I've had on a, on a day is, I think, 20 coins, which is, you know, like four or five quid, depending what the what the uh, exchange rate. It's sort of quite heavily tied to Bitcoin. If Bitcoin's doing well, then all the other crypto coins tend to be doing well mm-hmm. so um and then you, th- with those credits i mean it's not complicated it's not like this is something that's always put me off about crypto is having all these digital wallets and fucking about with passwords but it just does it for you doesn't it it's dead easy if i can set it up fucking anyone can and then you can spend those credits on your favorite odyssey channel hello yeah. hello <laughs> You can give like little little micro uh, transactions, like if there's a particular video you like, you can do like a macro tip, uh, or you can um, tip a channel. You know your favorite channels, you know, and it's only a quid here, a quid there, twenty p. It's like micro transactions, isn't it? It's, uh, but you know, it's a good way of it's real money at the end of the day. Yeah, and. Um, it's a good way of supporting us financially. You know, if you're not, if you want to become a producer and you're not, you know, not everyone has money to burn. Um, it's another way of actually supporting us financially without it actually costing you anything, exactly. which is cool. It's a neat idea. I really like it. Odyssey. It's good. And it's actually quite easy to use as well. Yeah, I find um, that YouTube's is just is just um, adverts now, isn't it? Oh, there's no adverts, by the way, either. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it, about Odyssey? Which is huge. Yeah, no adverts and no next video 
is there from my recollection? I don't think there's, they don't get into all this taste profile and shit and selling yeah. your data that all these other big tech companies do. They seem to be more mm-hmm. ethical in that respect. Mm-hmm. And um, there was something else I was going to say about them. Oh, the apps. So I'm using uh, just a standard web browser and it works fine on a mobile device, on a web browser. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an app for Apple and the Android app is currently in development. Um, I think it's called Live. It's LBRY. LBRY, yeah, that's like the parent company of Odyssey, mm. which you can get an app for, but it's not Odyssey. So the, uh, it's slightly different, mm-hmm. but they are bringing out an Odyssey app, which will be more, it'll look more like YouTube and operate yeah, like right. YouTube, whereas Library doesn't really, does it? It's more like a, mm. I don't know what yeah. you call it. Yeah. 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 Uh, what else can you do? Uh, send us news articles, clips, yeah, videos. Um, buy some more merch. See. Yeah, merch from the Amish loot chest. The uh, the what's it? The link will be in the description if you want to get your Carags, grape T-shirt or your. Because I'm literally a communist. Hoodie or you know mugs and whatnot. That's all available, and that helps. Yeah. Uh, Definitely does. What else? can email us at the arms inquisition at gmail.com mm-hmm. if you've got any uh, intel boots on the ground reports mm-hmm. um and we will leave you anonymous if required you know say you worked in the health service mm. and your identity identity require uh, required protecting we will obviously do that um or anywhere anywhere you know uh is that it is that it for the housekeeping I have to become a producer. I think, you know, there's the pinnacle of producing, which is tossing us a fucking coin. Toss a coin to your witcher, yep. Old Valley of Plenty. Do it for the lads, lads, lads. Yeah, monetary donations are uh, very much appreciated. Yeah. So we don't get enough, and you know. And it really bothers me. It does bother me that we don't get enough monetary donations, but hey, this is a slow process. Mm. You know, I mean, what is the alternative? I do not want to be, you know, we were talking to Dr. N. Marsh, and I don't want to halfway through the interview say, you know, Dr. N. Marsh, how smooth are your balls? <laughs> Yeah, that's the alternative. They keep they keep offering, don't they? Another one this week, yeah. Some company yeah. called Smooth My Balls. <laughs> want to uh, uh, be endorsed. Yeah. But we don't want to do that because it's a slippery slope. And it's exactly. the same with YouTube. You know, if you're YouTube monetized and then all of a sudden YouTube take down episode 172 or whatever it was because they don't like what you're saying and you're reliant on that money to keep running. Mm. Um, what are you going to do? You're going to have to start censoring yourself and that's not what we want to do. We want to be free and open and honest with all our fo- foibles and faults. Yes. But what you see is what you get. You know, don't want to have to talk about how smooth my balls are. No. Um, not, any- n- not anymore. <laughs> I, you know, I just mentioned Roland and Marsh. I can't believe we didn't pick this up last week, but we have talked about on Marsh before. Get you, out of my sister hole. 
Yeah, this is probably going back maybe three years, two years. Was people are comparing it to on Marsh, which was <laughs> Wednesday. No, on Marsh oh, Wednesday. Mer- Mercury, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Marsh. That's Tuesday, isn't it? No, pas écrire. Easy. Monday. <laughs> Tuesday, Mercredi, Marche, Fritz Day. No? Oh, damn. That was classic. It's classic, that. Huh? It's classic Karmish Inquisition. Yeah, what happened, eh? <laughs> yeah. We sold sh- out. Sold out to smooth my balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. If you fuckers don't support us, it might come to that, though. <laughs> I'm afraid it might have to be an advert. You know, trigonometry have an advert before podcast even starts, right up at the beginning. Yeah, they're 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 ad heavy, aren't they? They're trying to make their uh, money out of it, aren't they? Nothing against them. It's just a different philosophy, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yes, and uh, the content is still very good and thought provoking. And yeah, there's there's been some stuff on there that I've kind of gone, oof. Yeah, a bit close to the bone. Yeah. Yeah. That's but not big. Yeah. Those are the conversations that are interested. Mm, rather yeah. than the sanitized fucking world that certain people want to seem to create and propagate, you know, it's mm. it'd just be dull and boring. That's what I don't like about it. But uh, I should mention um previous producer Slicko eighty three as yeah. uh, he started his own podcast. All right, okay. Called uh, Freedom of Expression. So I thought right. I'd just give him a shout out. Shout think... out, Slicko. Yeah. Right mm-hmm. then. Shall we uh, thank the producers for episode 182? Please. We have Nome Nos Nodge, Gav Scott, Midnight Mike, Big Spuds, Slicko83, Anonymous, and everyone who bought merch this week. Thank you. You're so amazing in your love. They are. Yeah. So... Amazing in their chest feeding, love, and literally the best mate. Let's big up the man Dems. It's time to big up the man Dems, yo. Slushy <laughs> deposit. Uh, 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 because I, I believe I, I have an issue in this respect. Get over here! Oh shit! Fuck! I can't save you if you're not wearing a face mask. The dwarf. The carags. The grape. The homophobe. The wings. The misogynist. The uh, tosilizu mab. The fucking vegan. The root to liberty. Can you? The lion dog face pony soldier. The asthma. The crump up cunt. The devil in the rock and a hard place. The number 11. The fleshy deposit. The big stud. The blind man. The communist. On the horizon. The cripple and the mother. Honey bickering. From like a judgment day and terminating mode like. Bring on. <laughs> yes! I don't get it. Never will. <laughs> Thanks for your support for another week. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Moving on. COVID-19 news. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be in the end. Your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass. From hell. Oh! 
You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating mode like. It's not going to allow us to go completely back to normal. Anal swab tests in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. I can't say if you're not wearing a face mask. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Um, I think we need to talk about India. Yes, there's a lot of, uh, seems to be a lot of scaremongering going on at the moment. Are you getting a sense of deja vu, like me? Um, of, like, northern Italy? Uh, well, no, I don't think China. my memory's that long, to be honest with you. I just yeah. turned it off. I mean, it it looks, if you look at the mainstream media, it looks pretty terrifying, mm. doesn't it, what's going on there? Yeah. Um, what is happening? I mean... You have to sort of look at these things in perspective, I think. Um, I went in. I went to Our World in Data today to check on the numbers. Mm-hmm. And um, if you put in there um, COVID deaths over the last seven days, mm. and it's been sort of, it's been ramping up in the media for, I would say, two weeks maybe, this India thing. Yeah, I would say, yeah. So if you go last seven days deaths per million... India is 52nd in the world. I was about to think, you know, is it not like a billion people in India? 1.4. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're below most of Europe, most of South America, the US. Mm. And not at the risk of sounding like Stalin, <laughs> you know, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. I think when you're looking at these big public health things, you have to sort of look at it sort of dispassionately sometimes to make the right decisions. Mm. Um, yeah, lower death rate than the US, Russia, everywhere in Europe and South America pretty much. I mean, uh, that's assuming that the reported number is correct. Well, that's the, the, I've seen read something about that, that they, they've... They, whoever they are, have said that. Bill uh, Gates. Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, it's possible that it's not reported correctly. Yeah, because they can't, you know, the data is there on the mm. internet. Um, if you if you took that number that's reported on our world in data and multiplied it by five, mm-hmm. they still wouldn't even be in the top ten. Right. Okay. So if there was five times the amount of deaths than they're actually reported. So is know. it is it a case of because it's got a map a massive population, therefore there are naturally going to be a lot of deaths mm. from COVID. Um so it's a greater number. I mean what is the thing is it like because like I don't know how many people are dying, I'm not even how many people died of it in the last seven days? I don't know. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it's per hundred thousand. It's eleven. I think it was eleven oh, right. okay. per hundred thousand. Okay. It's not absolute numbers because if you go watch the BBC, India yet again has broken another world record. Yeah, that's what I mean. But this is the thing, isn't it? So if it's eleven for hundred thousand, I'll tell you what. Then just split India into eleven different countries. Then yeah, exactly. It doesn't break any records. Then does it? Just let me think. So just get it's about it's about eleven thousand, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, it does. It does seem that people are dying needlessly. 
um, due to lack of supplies and provision. Well, but they are going to, though, in a country like India, aren't they? Developing country. I've been hearing about the black market in oxygen, for example. Well, yeah, and, you know, like, before this, it was often reported that, like, um, when we were scared about... um, Ventilators? uh, Antibiotics, no, pre-COVID. Oh. And, like, um, basically, you could just... The over-prescription of antibiotics was a big problem in India, apparently. Yeah, it's still a big problem everywhere, antibiotic resistance and uh, lack of research going into finding new ones. Um, But anyway, let's investigate as far as terms of, uh, in terms of lack of provision and lack of oxygen, which is the big story we're getting. I've got a Mm -hmm. couple of clips here from India today um, who've been reporting on China blocking shipments of oxygen to India. Our challenge is, is basically logistics because we were sourcing a lot of these from China. China, for whatever reason, has stopped all cargo flights uh, into India. And uh, one of our first assign, uh, consignment landed in India, and we had to route it from Shanghai to Tokyo and then back into India from Tokyo to Delhi. And, and we're looking at other aspects, moving them from Shanghai to Dubai, Shanghai to uh, Bangkok. It just adds a timeline because you want to move this very, very fast. And uh, we are working with the Empowered Committee chaired by Amitabh Khan to make sure that they move fast through customs. We are sending them to the Indian Red Cross so they can distribute because they have a better network across the country to be able to support and take a decision home to give them. So that's the CEO of one of the NGOs in India. Right. That, uh, he's saying that China are, are blocking shipments of oxygen direct. They're having to reroute them, which you don't hear on the BBC. Um, can we get an idea of the motive here? Well, when it comes to government to government, the Indian government has also sources in the U.S. government told us that none of the government consignments were blocked. Having said that, it is quite interesting to see the politics of supplies and politics of assistance now uh, playing out. Uh, China stopping U.S. companies specifically, and now we're looking at NGOs and private entities who are trying to source from China also. So government to government supplies are being maintained. But the CCP is deliberately blocking supplies from U.S. corporations and other private companies. Uh, feeling the heat and disruption of uh, of supplies from China. Uh, so it, it looks like China is being selective in who they're allowing the consignments to go through and uh, which are the areas of entities that they're not allowing. And that clearly shows the politics of maybe trying to take credit because if it's government to government, they really cannot stop. But when it comes to private entities, in all probability, China is looking to or looking at uh, a response from India that's still awaited. China has extended a lot of offer. But India still is yet to respond to a Chinese offer. And it seems like China is trying to now arm twist India's way into accepting either the offer or making it very difficult to entities, uh, for entities and private companies, companies based out of the United States of America, better known of China, to really come uh, to the assistance and help of India. So I know, right. I know the, ac- the accents are quite thick and, the, the, and she's speaking quite quick, but it seems that there's deal making going on yeah they're using so basically what they're saying is they can't stop government to government sort of aid 
in terms of oxygen stuff, but the 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 fucking around with corporations aid. Yeah. Uh, got the uh, India Today's foreign correspondent to elucidate a little more on the motives. Right, Gaurav, I just want to check with you. What is this cargo airlift ban that they are talking about? That is the reason they have cited. How can that be resolved by India? Hello? So, you know, this is where China and their doublespeak becomes very apparent. So, you know, Chinese government, uh, 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 whatever India requires, they are sending directly. But what, what comes from the private sector or U.S. companies or NGOs, they are blocking. Uh, as the Gita was very rightly pointing out, this is very typical traditional Chinese arm-twisting tactics. And it's not just with India. You know, China is trying to use this pandemic to mint money. They've tried to do that with Europe. They've tried to do that with the United States of America. Um, you know, often if we saw in the first phase of the pandemic, they were sending substandard medical equipment at exorbitant rates. Apparently, they may be trying to do the same with India. And that is why India is insisting that we need reliable supply chains often that are not reliant on China at all in the times to come. Isn't there like sort of animosity between India as a state and China as a state? anyway as sort of two neighboring superpowers or could want to be superpowers i suppose yeah um now so india today isn't state media in india so i you know i'll see what you're getting at this could be indian government propaganda putting out this negative story about china well no not so much that but yeah yeah um this story has been confirmed in an article in the Global Times. Now, the Global Times, if you go to their Wikipedia page, the Global Times is a daily tabloid newspaper under the auspices of the Chinese Communist Party's flagship People's Daily newspaper, <laughs> commenting on international issues from a nationalistic perspective. So they're even talking about cargo ships being blocked to India. So this is not... Um, not fragment... Um, where you f- think of something from thin air. <laughs> fabrication. <laughs> it's not fabrication. There is some truth Truth here. Well, the, the, the at story. least the shipments are being stopped. They are being stopped, yeah. And if you take India to today's word for it, they're being stopped selectively. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, there's all sorts of geopolitical games being played in the background. And it's costing people their lives. Yeah. This is the problem. Definitely. Um, The Indian government isn't innocent in all this. Um, There's been some interesting censorship stories regarding India coming out of the country. Uh, Here's India on Twitter. But amid these cries and anger, you're also seeing action from the Indian government. They have ordered that Twitter remove a number of posts which have been critical of the country's handling of the second wave of the pandemic. This is a total of around 50 tweets, and it comes from a variety of sources, from government ministers, from opposition MPs, from journalists, and even from an actor. Let me show you one example of one of these tweets that has now been hidden from users in India. It was published by this opposition MP alongside this photo here. 
And here the MP says that India is recording over 200,000 cases of coronavirus every day, that there is a shortage of vaccines and medicines, and that the healthcare system is collapsing. But this tweet has now been removed under a law in India called the Information Technology Act. It's not exactly clear to us why this post has been taken down, but in a statement to Euronews, Twitter have said that they are committed to promoting healthy conversation about the pandemic, and they Socked say off. they are also committed to tackling misinformation, and that following a request under law by the Indian government, they were allowed to remove these posts. You may remember the Indian government has previously requested that Twitter take down comments that are of dissent, but this decision now, during the middle of a pandemic, to take down these kind of posts has sparked a lot of anger online, a lot of journalists and activists saying that this is a move of censorship. One lawyer here on Twitter saying that the whole of the country is petrified, and while people are trying to keep the government to account, instead what the authorities are doing is an act of censorship. And Twitter does say, yep, yeah, no problem, we'll do that for you, Mr. Modi. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit weird, isn't it, how they kind of... I don't know. So, you know, if we complained about something, would it get taken down? <laughs> don't think so. Mm. <laughs> it's not just uh, Twitter either. Uh, Facebook are getting in on the action. Facebook Inc. blocked posts tagged resigning Modi before restoring them hours later, stoking a controversy that's erupted over government requests to remove social media content as India grapples with an escalating COVID crisis. Facebook said it barred the hashtag by mistake. Bullshit. And not at the behest of the government without elaborating. Facebook periodically blocks hashtags for a variety of reasons, some manually, but many also based on automated internal guidelines. The error stemmed from content associated with the label and not the hashtag itself, the spokesperson has added. The hours-long block which came ahead of the final phase of lawmaker elections... But amid these... During election season as well. In a key state, an effectively wiped post calling on Prime Minister Narendra Modi to resign follows public outrage and official efforts to curb content critical of the way his government has handled the pandemic. So during an election campaign, mm. Facebook decides to remove the hashtag resign Modi by accident and yeah. then reinstates it. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like interfering with elections to me. I wonder if there's any other elections that have happened, you know, in the last six months or so that social media giants might have interfered with. I can't think of any. No, I can't think of any. No, that was the Russians, wasn't it? (laughs) The fucking Russian bots. Do you know, they're fucking fucking around, these tech companies, with democracy. The largest democracy in the world, no less. Mm. And I think the thing is, is, you know, it's a lot of people to have Facebook users to miss out on, isn't it? If they get if Facebook gets banned in India and the test of Modi. And think of the clout that the Prime Minister of a country of one point four billion people has when it comes to say mm. advertising revenues. Yeah. That are spent on your platform. Mm. You know, you just can't trust uh, what you read online anymore. No. Anyway, sticking with uh, Twitter censorship, I was on Twitter the other day when this warning popped up and um, I just took um, the last sort of 
paragraph of it. Um, uh, the following is a statement. This is, it wasn't in my feed or anything. It was just one of these sort of messages that gets popped up, like right. NHS ones do every now and again. And um, well, Like an advert, I think. Like an advert, but not an advert. I don't know. Okay. They obviously, they're spying on me. They know <laughs> what I look at, and they think, oh, this guy's a COVID, COVID idiot. We need to, uh, you know, help him with his thinking. <laughs> so anyway, this the following is a statement from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, mm. Mm. the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, ASRM, and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, SMFM. Mm. And here's the statement. I just took the last paragraph. While fertility was not specifically studied in the clinical trials of the vaccine, no loss of fertility has been reported among trial participants or among the millions who have received the vaccine since their authorization, and no signs of infertility appeared in animal studies. Loss of fertility is scientifically unlikely. Now, this is obviously because I've been looking at things like my Eden and Sukhchuturit <laughs> Bakhti, who are saying there is a biological possibility, whatever mm. the chances are, that these vaccines could cause infertility. So Twitter decides <coughs> to throw this post up at me. Mm. But I like to do research on these things, so I'm pretty well genned up on them. And it was this last bit that caught my attention. It said, um, no signs of infertility appeared in the animal studies. Mm. Um, now, I've looked at the studies, the animal studies, and it was rhesus, rhesus macaques that were used. That was the uh, primate of choice. Okay. And um, what happens is they give them the, vi- the uh, vaccine and then monitor them, and then they challenge them with the virus. They give them the virus and see what happens. What's the, you know, does it produce antibodies, whatever? The rhesus macaques were euthanized seven days after challenged by the virus. Now, I'm pretty sure seven days isn't long enough for them to start breeding... Why are they euthanized after seven days? Because we don't want to find out that. What what happens if they all drop dead three weeks later? (laughs) Are we going to sell the fucking vaccine then? Exactly, that's what I mean. That seems like a short window to keep your Reese's macaque. Oh, these trials are full of short windows. That's what what you find out when you start looking into them. Yeah. It's very selective. But, you know, trust the science. (laughs) Don't want to be a COVID idiot. I don't even know what I'm doing. Am I, I done with that page? I think I'm done with that page. Such a COVID idiot. <laughs> I am. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, um, I was talking to you earlier about this um, research that's hot off the press from the Salk Institute. Yeah. Um, Jonas Salk, who's a, a big dick in... Uh, who was a big dick in... Um, <laughs> Salk he did. Polio. I think it was a polio vaccine that he pioneered. Okay. Uh, and obviously he's had this institute um, named after him. And there's a, an international collaboration of scientists have done this uh, research that's been published in, I think the journal's called Circulation Infection? Circulation Monthly? I don't know. Circulation mm-hmm. something, this academic journal. Anyway, here it is, because it's really interesting. The novel coronavirus spike protein plays additional key role in illness. Salk researchers and collaborators 
show how the protein damages cells, confirming COVID-19 as a primarily vascular disease. Mm -hmm. That's not respiratory. Primarily a vascular disease, and it's down to this spike protein. Okay. This is interesting, and it's interesting how, particularly how they found this out. So, in the new study, the researchers created a pseudovirus that was surrounded by the SARS-CoV-2 classic array of um, crown spike proteins, the S proteins, but didn't actually contain an actual virus. Exposure to this pseudovirus resulted in damage to the lungs and arteries of an animal model proving that the spike protein alone was enough to cause disease. This is a mm. dead virus. All it has of SARS-CoV-2 is the spike proteins around the outside. Tissue samples showed inflammation in endothelial cells lining the pulmonary artery walls. What's an animal model? An animal trial. Oh, right. They used. A, I can't remember which animal they used. I think mm. it might have been rodent-based Okay. <laughs> I can't remember. It was definitely mammalian. I don't know if it was simian or rodent. Okay. But yeah, just an animal trial. So obviously not, they can't do this with people. Not pescatarian. No. <laughs> no. No, so they made this empty virus, if you like, just like an yeah. empty shell, but with these the spike protein around it. And it, it, it showed, um, yeah, enough to cause damage to lungs, arteries, and an animal model. The team then replicated this process in the lab exposing healthy endothelial cells, which are the ones that line the arteries, to the spike protein. They showed that the spike protein damaged the cells by binding to the ACE2 receptor. This binding disrupted ACE2's molecular signaling to mitochondria, organelles that generate energy for cells, causing the mitochondria to become damaged and fragmented. Previous studies have shown a similar effect when cells were exposed to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. But this is the first study to show that the damage occurs when the cells are exposed to the spike protein on its own rather than the whole coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And here's a quote from the one of the lead co-authors, in quotes, If you remove the replicating capabilities of the virus, it still has a major damaging effect on the vascular cells. Simply by virtue of its ability to bind to the ACE2 receptor, the S-protein receptor, now famous thanks to covid Manner explains, further studies with mutant spike proteins will also provide new insight towards the infectivity and severity of mutant SARS-CoV-2 viruses. So this is the uh, spike, just the spike protein on its own, causing this um, vascular damage to the lungs and arteries. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it has some implications as well. Well, yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking. Because we know how the vaccines work. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The vaccine programs your cells to create the spike protein. Mm-hmm. Yep. We need answers. I've been online today. No fuckers talking about this. Mm. Crickets. Nothing. It came out on the 30th. That's two days ago. Yeah. Not seeing any... Even the author is not coming out. It doesn't seem to be saying anything of the co-author, are they? I would like to know what's going on. Mm. How long does your body produce the, the spike protein for post-vaccination? I tried to Google that, can't find it. Probably because they don't know. Well, that's 
worrying. <laughs> they don't know. Surely there must be a cutoff. They must know. They should know how much spike protein you produce. Mm. If this thing, then now oh, finally we've just discovered that it's actually the S protein that's causing vascular damage. Get turning thirty odd million people in this country into S protein factories is probably not a great idea. Then is it? How will it? What about boosters? So yeah, if they say, well, if you only do, if you it only produces S proteins for a week after you've been jabbed, all right, and then after the second jab, and then what do you have to get it every year? What's is there a knock on effect? What's the half life of these S proteins in the body? Mm-hmm. How does it affect immunocompromised? So I think if you're young and healthy, you get this vaccine. It tells your body to produce these spike proteins, and then you produce antibodies to neutralize the spike proteins. That's the whole. That's how it generates immunity. So they say. All right. Well, what if you're either immunocompromised or you're fucking old and your immune system's fucked? What happens to them spike proteins then? They just hang around your system and then fuck you up. I want to know. Yeah. I really want to know. I'm not a fucking scientist, but I'm a concerned citizen. Mm-hmm. And these questions need answering. I mean, a lot of the adverse reactions we're hearing about are vascular in nature, cerebral vein thrombosis, yeah. strokes, myocarditis now with the... Um, which vaccine's that? It's men, generally under 30. Right. Come out this week. I don't know. A lot of um, US soldiers are getting fucked up with uh, in, um, heart muscle inflammation. Right. It's not killed that many, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. the virus wasn't going to. Chances of the virus killing him is pretty slim as well. It was lower, probably. Yeah. We need. Yeah. I don't know. How That's was the. the Do you remember when they were selling the vaccine? Uh, we're selling the idea of the vaccine. The whole point is, it produces. Yeah. It only it doesn't. You don't get the whole virus. Mm-hmm. You just get this this one part of it, the spike protein, which is harmless. Yes. Yeah. Turns out it's not. Mm-hmm. But you know, if I'd said that six months ago, I'm a fucking COVID idiot. <laughs> Do you know? I do yeah. worry sometimes. It winds me up. I hope there is a. I hope this isn't going to be bad. Mm-hmm. I would rather be wrong and it not be bad. Yeah. Hopefully this stuff just stays in your system for a few days. And then it just works its way out. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I really... I have to question the ethics of giving this young people. I don't mean kids. I mean... People who aren't at risk. Yeah. They're really not at risk. I got some uh, figures, I think it's on the other sheet, actually. I was just interested in uh, the uh, relationship between comorbidities. Yeah. Uh, If you want to play a game, you want to play a game? Uh, It depends. Is it like that film, Saw? It's a bit like the... Bit like the price is right. Don't worry, we're gonna get some. We're gonna do some fun stuff in a minute. <laughs> Higher or lower? Yeah. Right. So this is from. Um, I think it's from Public Health England 
or it's out of the N- NHS. It's the latest data, anyway, from this week, twenty second of April. I think was the last time it was published. Uh, and this is this is hospital deaths in England only. So, yeah. latest data: there's been eighty six thousand eight hundred and twenty three COVID deaths in English hospitals since the start of the pandemic. So over a year. So eighty six. Call it eighty-seven thousand. Mm-hmm. Armishmat, how many? And it's age stratified this day. How many under twenty-year-olds have died of COVID nineteen with no no with no known comorbidities in English I hospitals? Think, I think this is going to be incredibly low, if at all. So I'm going to say. Three, eight. Oh, close. It's eight. Yeah, I was, I was, I was <coughs> visualizing an eight. And it came through as a three. How many under twenty-year-olds with comorbidities? Just out of uh, curiosity. More. I'd say a hundred. So a hundred under twenty-year-olds have died of COVID. In English hospitals. 50. The answer with comorbidities is 32. All right, okay. So 40 altogether. Okay. Um, Now, if you give the jab to roughly 10, 12 million under-18s in this country, I think there is, roughly. Mm. If you had a fatal adverse event of one in a million, Mm. you would kill more children with the vaccine them would have died healthy children of covid yeah i mean that's the thing isn't it you know it's that balance of risk isn't it yeah more at risk as having the rest the vaccine or more at risk it because that's what you know that woman said it didn't she i can't remember it was like was it there was they made a big thing didn't they about she was a pharmacist and her brother died after having the vaccine of this blood clot thing in the brain oh yeah cerebral and, vein thrombosis yeah and she said you know with thrombocytopenia she wants to you know make sure people still have the vaccine yeah. and she said like you know all medications have side effects so if you look at the you know the side effects for paracetamol or ibuprofen or you know the pill like mm. contraceptive pill all they have hundreds of everything does potential i said it before balance of risk isn't it i said before we were recording there's no biological free lunch exactly yeah everything has a price you have to pay the ferryman yeah exactly (laughs) generally speaking but you know it is isn't it it isn't it's I, i don't think it's ethically right to say you know to morally blackmail people into having a vaccine when the risk isn't there for them yeah i'd agree i mean, I think part of it's down to just the lack of lack of information and lack of sort of long-term information that we, we don't have mm. and a sort of a lack of a track record couple that with the sort of the sort of new platform of the technology mm. um that sort of increases it just sort of this uh, uncertainty that's the way i see it i don't think that this is my personal opinion i don't think the vaccine companies are trying to kill people <laughs> right i don't you know 
I'm not there. That there's some of the global Bill Gates is doing deals to population control, even though I can see mm-hmm. that there is a lot of evidence for it. I'm not writing it off. <laughs> you know, Damocles Razor, to me, says that the vaccine companies aren't trying to kill people, but yeah. they can still make mistakes. Yeah, definitely. Sputnik 5 has, has been in a world of trouble. with some of this. Really? Yeah, because they're delivering doses and the countries are receiving them and looking at them and saying... Uh, this ain't what we ordered. <laughs> this isn't what. This isn't the same as what you had in the Lancet trial. Oh right, okay. So, like one of the things they got in trouble for. There's, there's something in the manufacturing process. I think they have to remove. Oh, I don't know. E, <laughs> like in the chain, like in the DNA chain, they have to remove a gene okay. or something that stops it replicating. Right, right, right yeah. and they haven't been doing it. So the adenovirus can replicate in your body, you know. I don't know. I don't. I, I just glanced at it. I didn't look into it any any detail. But there is mm. a controversy, and uh, when it comes to the Sputnik Five quality control, yeah, yep. And it's all been so rushed. You see, I mean, the other thing is, is you know, we've talked about many different cases, haven't we? Of of big multinational oh, corporations yeah. making decisions based on money rather than ethics. Yeah, and you know what really helps that situation? When um, you put in legislation that doesn't allow these companies to be sued if they make any mistakes. <laughs> exactly. If yeah. you indemnify them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, talking about the uh, the kids' facts and the way out of COVID... Because we're nearly there. June the 21st is around the corner. Six weeks, is it? Yep. No more legal limits on our lives. Right, Foreign Secretary? No. Are we planning to vaccinate school children? It's not something we're, uh, we've made a decision on. What we are doing is we come through step three and step four, and with the pro- positive progress we've made, looking at what extra safeguards, caveats need to be put in place, and also looking at once we've done uh, cohorts one to nine, which are the, uh, the adult population, the most vulnerable, what we might do then. Because we want to get to a uh, position at, at the end of June where we can get life back as close to normal as possible, but there'll still need to be some safeguards in place. That's one of the tools that we'll look at, or one of the options that we'll look at, but no decision has been made. What kind of safeguards will stay in place? I don't want to prejudge it. It will. Uh, ha- we'll look at the things in the round. It will be, right. um, uh, you know, particularly. I think it'll be around distancing. Maybe there'll be uh, something around masks. Um, but but I don't really want to prejudge. Those are just some of the options. So so I thought masks, but I thought they would get rid of social distancing. And he says that there will. There yeah. will be safeguards in place after the 21st of June. Exactly. So, you know, I thought masks would be around forever. Well, I, I imagine that 21st of June, all legal limits are, are supposed to stop. I know. On yeah. everything. Masks, social distancing, everything. Yeah. He's saying that there will be caveats in place around yeah. distancing and masks. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's just bonkers, isn't it? Uh, I hope they just... Sorry. I was just going to say, do you know what I just want? I just want to go to Morrison's (laughs) and not have to fucking walk miles just to go out and come into the shop. That's all I want. It's saving people's lives. 
It's not. Sorry, it's, now, I'm sorry you find it inconvenient. <laughs> it's not, though, because now they've, they're having some building work done and everybody's just going out <laughs> and in and out of the same entrance. So, and all the other ones are closed. It's a farce. Yeah. And the masks are a farce. And it's always been a farce inside a supermarket because it's just fucking chaos as soon as you go in, isn't it? All through the summer, I was in Aldi every week. No masks, no social yeah. distancing. No, and there yeah. was nothing happening. Yeah. Cases on the floor, nothing mm. happening. No signal in supermarket workers. No, The yes. supermarket we- workers have the great unwashed coming in every day. Throughout the summer, no masks. Before yeah. the screens, no screens. <laughs> God, the screens, yeah. Why aren't they all dying? Why wasn't there a signal in supermarket workers being at a higher propensity? Yeah. Because it's fucking balls, you know. That's what makes me laugh, is the plastic screens everywhere. Yeah, I wish I had uh, shares in Perspex before this started. Barmy, isn't it? I just thought, what is this? That they'll stay. Yeah, I think that's but dearer to get rid of him now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You just give him a squirt, give him a wipe <laughs> once a day. Yeah, it's like everywhere's turned into the bank. <laughs> You've got a screen up. Well, even the bank, the bank's got rid of the screens. What? <laughs> no, not the the COVID screens, but. Yeah. Right before that, the banks were all like became like coffee shops, didn't they? It wasn't, there was no screens anymore. <coughs> Our local chemist has just been refurbed, and I walked in there to pick up prescription on the other day. I thought, "Fucking hell, it's like demolition man in here. <laughs> it's like some fucking dystopian future." And like I walk up and there's no counter. There's just like a little podium there. Uh, with nothing there, nothing there, just a you machine. Don't know how to use the podium. <laughs> don't know how to use the three seashells. Don't know how to use the three podiums. Just a machine that you flash your fucking chip in your palm. <laughs> you flash your chip there to pick up your prescription. And this woman comes sauntering over. Hey, yeah, can I help you? Yeah, get me out of here. <laughs> I don't want to be here. What's going on? Where's the nearest Taco Bell? <laughs> Pass me the salt. Fuck. <laughs> I got fined on the way out for swearing. Yeah, it's yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of this stuff is going to stick, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But um, Anyway, moving on. Um, You know how much I like Unheard, the pop-up YouTube channel? You do. Hosted incredibly um, sexually by Freddie Sayers. It's <laughs> it a is Swedish. voice. Well, he's just a Swedish honk, isn't he? And he's it's just, Swedish. Uh, he, can you not tell by looking at him? <laughs> no. <it's such> a, <laughs> sounds English. He's half Swedish, half English, I think. Right, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Like, say is the sandwich shop. <laughs> I think this might be my, this week's episode. Might be my favourite unheard yet. They had uh, author and philosopher Michael B. Crawford on. Okay. Uh, and um, I just got one clip. I mean, is, that, is he not a singer? Michael Crawford, Phantom of the Opera. Is he not? Yes, some mothers do have him. <laughs> mm, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike, no, this is Michael B. Crawford. Obviously, he put the B in so he wouldn't be confused with Frank <laughs> like Michael, Spencer. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. 
Michael B. Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah. Um, I recommend everyone watch it. It's brilliant. 40 minutes. And yeah. he's such a erudite, thoughtful guy. And he just nails everything. <laughs> he nails everything. Like us every week. Yeah. So I just took one clip just from early on in the episode just to give people a taste of it because uh, the link will be in the description. Go and watch it. I need to buy his books now mm. because he's just a fascinating guy. Anyway, I'll just play this. Uh, I think it's about a minute long. So we've seen this extraordinary extension of expert jurisdiction over every domain of life, really. <clears throat> so, of course, this entails <clears throat> a really a transfer of sovereignty from democratic to technocratic institutions. I think it also uh, involves something deeper, which is a... Um, sort of delegitimizing of common sense as a guide to action. Um, and we have now quite a prominent pattern of government by emergency that I think extends uh, beyond the pandemic. And resistance to this is often characterized as anti-science. Hello, mm-hmm. COVID idiot, science denier. <laughs> Uh, and I think the basic difficulty is that uh, you can't really follow the science because science doesn't lead anywhere. Um, it can illuminate various courses of action, for example, by uh, quantifying the risks that attend each. It can help to specify the trade-offs, um, but it can't make uh, the choices for us. And I think pretending otherwise is a way for uh, decision makers to um, kind of avoid responsibility for the choices they make on our behalf. So, absolutely nailed it. The politicians, the decision makers, have abdicated responsibility and put it on the experts. Science, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that when it all goes wrong, yeah, they can say, "Well, <laughs> following the science." Not following, guided, guided by the science. Exactly, yeah. You know, I think he absolutely nailed it. And uh, the whole thing is fascinating. He's just a really interesting guy to listen to. I'm kind mm. of uh, got a bit of a crush on him, I think. Give me some Andrew Shatkin vibes with his way of talking. What do you mean? Just that. <coughs> and I mean, oh. sounds like a New Yorker. I'm. Um, uh... Uh, because I, I believe I'm, I have an issue in this respect. Yeah. So on and so forth. Yeah. No, it's worth checking out. Good. Uh, we've not heard from DW, Deutsche Welle, for a while. <laughs> Deutsche Welle, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the German government is finding that uh, old habits die hard. Germany's Domestic Intelligence Agency is putting some members of the anti-lockdown Querdenker protest movement under surveillance. It allows authorities to collect data on individuals and groups who are suspected of spreading conspiracy theories and misinformation about the pandemic. The German Interior Ministry said the movement had extremist tendencies. It fears that its influence could last beyond the end of the pandemic. So the G- German uh, security agency is surveilling conspiracy theorists online. <laughs> Great. 
what could go wrong. Yeah. Dunno. Yeah, the lives of others. Did you ever watch it? Do you know, I'm pretty sure sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't watch I don't didn't watch it. I've never recommended another film to you. I'm sure there used to be rules where maybe the government couldn't put you under surveillance without maybe um like due cause. <laughs> Yeah, maybe suspicion of causing an offence or something like that. Yeah. A warrant? Is there something <laughs> called a warrant or something? I don't know. It yeah. seems to have just gone out of the window. Maybe I just dreamt it. Don't I know. don't know. Is that like a thing? I th- I'm sure that was a thing, yeah, having a warrant to put well, someone under they, surveillance. Maybe they have, and the, the courts are saying, that, yeah, you can have one. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, stay away. Stay away from Germany, I guess. Yeah. I was uh, I was listening to my favourite podcast, the best podcast in the universe, No Agenda. Oh, no, so I was going to say, listening back to ours. <laughs> listening back to laughing? Hours. What? To crush your enemies. <laughs> see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women. No, it's No Agenda. Um the second best podcast in the universe. <laughs> I was listening on Thursday, and okay. uh, oh my gosh, they were talking about vaccines and stuff. And when I heard this, my heart, my heart skipped a beat. Okay, in suspense. Well, first of all, I have to play a prelude clip, which okay. is this clip, which is a nutball podcaster going on about stuff. <laughs> nutball, nutball podcaster. Uh, and this is the pod, it says podcaster on COVID shot. And then we go to the Christian Northrup clips. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's and do, by let's the do way, that way, yeah. play the podcaster. Uh, I, was, I was having a butty in my van. I was like, fuck, it's happening, it's happening. So this was a post that I saw on Facebook. This was the start, actually, for me of realizing that something was going on. So like I said, it's anecdotal. And so I was, I was crestfallen. Yeah. Initially. Oh. And then I recognised the voice, and that is the voice of Lindsay Schwarman from the Rogue Report. And uh, we talk to each other on Telegram. Yeah, We're in the okay. same. Uh, she's in a, the same ballpark. She's in. She's a, a union of the unwanted veteran. <laughs> like <We're>, us. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so. Uh, so I was quite made up. Um, yeah, cool. John gave, John Cedarvorak gave her a bit of a rough time, as right, you can tell okay. by his introduction, calling her what was it, a crackpot? Conspiracy <laughs> what? But Adam, Adam stuck up for her. Lindsay's been doing lots of work on these um, anecdotal evidence of women's menses being uh, interfered with by vaccines. This right, okay. seems to be a phenomenon. Phenomena. And uh, she's collating these reports about people, uh, women, well, not people, women. Uh, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> bitches, yeah. I didn't say bitches, I said creatures. <laughs> I said bitches. Oh, my God. About these bitches taking the, you know. The magic vaccine. And then having, you know, heavy flows. And uh, Adam Curry, the podfather, stuck up for her because he's heard the same from his wife and his wife's network of friends that this is seems to be something going on. Right. 
Yeah. I don't know. I just thought, you know. You know, it's just, you know, super painful, but. Turns out it can fuck up your menses as well. Allegedly. (laughs) I wonder if other vaccines would have a similar effect. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's all viruses. I don't know. Don't know. Do we do we and like a proposition? Maybe we can get a white paper going, and then uh, I'll send it upstairs. Uh, see what comes of it. Okay, we'll look into it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new slogan from uh, UK Gov, mm-hmm. demonstrated by Mancock at this week's COVID briefing. I don't know if you caught this. Is it what is it? Uh... <laughs> Uh, space, face, <laughs> place. New. In the words of our new campaign, every vaccination brings us hope. Every vaccination brings us hope. All oh, right. Is it going to be hope? <laughs> Dope. Hope. Mask. <laughs> Kneel. <laughs> Kneel before Zod. Um, hope, <laughs> mask, space. No, hope, mask, vaccination, liberation. No, it's hope, mask, anal swab tests for <laughs> <laughs> anal swab tests. <laughs> yeah, every vaccine brings us hope. They've uh, yeah. ordered sixty million of the Pfizer this week. <laughs> okay. Why? For autumn. Oh fucking hell. For the booster. I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna have the booster. No, I won't bother. Um how many people is there in this country? Sixty five million? Why would yeah. you need sixty million booster shots of one company? I don't get it. I think the maths is wrong. Yeah, so it's gonna be two booster shots then. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just a bonanza, isn't it? It's just a, it's just printing money and let's yeah, get it spent, you know. Buying things, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Just uh, where all this money? I feel sorry for these people who've been campaigning for decades to have money spent on the fucking NHS. <laughs> and just nothing, nothing from the government. And then all of a sudden, we've got we've got uh, hundreds of billions to spend on healthcare. Yeah, but I mean, they're not spending it on everything, are they? <laughs> just spending it on vaccines and test and trace and lateral flow tests. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Is it, have we gone past 500 billion now? <coughs> oh, I don't think it matters anymore. It's all going to collapse, isn't it? Buy Bitcoin. No. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Maybe. Start prepping. Get some uh, tin beans. Get some water. It's just this, yeah. My God. I, li- I was listening to something on, um, what's it called? Is it called PM on Radio 4? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? The thing at five o'clock with, what's his face? He goes, oh, uh, um, it's PM with <laughs> Evan Davies. Uh, Is he still doing a job? Evan- Davies, oh gosh, oh. Um, but he was talking about Joe Biden and like you know, sort of the the inconsistency between Americans saying, "Oh no, 
it's awful to spend tax money on benefits, but then being quite happy about getting fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. Mm. Is what it is. Well, it is what it is because you are who you are. That's why it is. Don't argue with creepy Uncle Joe. No. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. If you hold near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to... Anyway. I, I only listened to a short I, snippet of it. But the other thing that I was quite interested in that report was that he took a meeting with prominent um, historians of US presidents and apparently the meeting, in the meeting, he discussed what it was that made, you know, um, Roosevelt so well-liked and, you know, significant throughout history or Lincoln or JFK or... Johnson or whatever. Um, when did he, he? When did he do this uh, study? This interview? Um, it wasn't recently. But sorry, he, he it was it must be the, he wasn't on Radio Four, Joe Biden. It was a, <laughs> a report about his sort of first however long he's been in. Right, but Joe Biden has been asking historians. He had a meeting with historians. Right. And yes, yeah, said, what is it that makes U.S. presidents prominent go down in history? And wanted to model his term on what they said. To be okay. fair, he should know from, from personal experience. <laughs> Just when <laughs> I came go. to the United States Senate 120 years ago. <laughs> Been in the Senate 120 years. Yeah. You know, so that's what he has in his mind. But I suppose it could be something that all presidents do. I'm sure they do. And uh, speaking of no agenda, they played a speeded up clip of Joe Biden talking in a recent speech at one and a half times speed. It makes and sense. His cadence and everything sounds just mm. like Obama. Right. Okay. It's like his mannerisms of his speech, his cadence, the way he st- structures his... Yeah. It's just, you know, it's like his revs of counters on the floor. His brain can't do it. Fast. Yeah. Because, you know. Pleaders, clan, pleaders, capital. More lives this year than any other year for the past hundred years. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say his humunculus has uh, died. What's that? The tiny human driving him. Yeah. DOA. Yeah. Uh, Going off COVID. Oh, don't don't disappoint. Not to um I'm I'm this whole Boris fucking eight hundred pound wallpaper stuff. It doesn't really interest me. <laughs> it's like uh politician is sleazy. <laughs> fucking hell. Breaking news. And him as well. Yeah. Politician is corrupt. It's like well yeah, anyone who's paying attention already knows this. Yeah. What's more interesting is the feeding frenzy, which we talked about with Malin, which the one that surrounded Dominic Cummings, you know, to try and hound him out, is whether this yeah. feeding frenzy will gather enough steam. Yes. So it's similar to like it happened to eat two trees and made in it eventually. It gets them all, doesn't it? 
Well, yeah, I suppose. Usually, well, I suppose unless they lose an election. David Cameron was the, because he lost the 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 European vote, wasn't it? I think the referendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he said that he wouldn't step down mm. if the vote was to leave. All oh, right, okay, didn't he? Yeah, because I if he know. if he'd said if I lose, I will step down. People would have voted leave just to get rid of him. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. So, you know, he said all the way through the campaign, this isn't a referendum on my leadership. Um, whatever the result, I will see it through. And then, right, yeah. obviously, the vote was leave. Yeah. Ta-ra! Someone else can sort <laughs> this fucking mess out. Yeah. I'm off to shag a pig in my, uh, you know, second home, whatever. Just go and do my speech circuit. In fact, he's been in trouble. Proper. He's been in trouble over it, hasn't he, the last few oh, weeks? Oh, the green sill thing, yeah. Is it green sill? Yeah. Does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> green sill? Well, that's run seal, isn't it? Oh, right. <laughs> um, I was missing something in the name, but no. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, talking about the Cummings thing, um, one of my other favourite podcasts is Jeff Norcott's podcast, What Most People Think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had an interesting, uh, funny take on the whole Cummings. You know, it seems that Cummings is the guy who's tarring Boris and, <laughs> and feathering him in the media, leaking all this stuff. And uh, I thought Jeff had a, a good take on it. But then you get this hilarious irony building up where the sworn enemies of Cummings are now the character witnesses for the same bloke. Oh, <laughs> the people man. that just sort of... That all he spoke was utter untruthful shit and now say, well, you want to listen to that guy? Cummings? <laughs> well, they must have to shower. You know, like uh, in that film, <laughs> The Crying Game, where the bloke... Anyway, but that would probably be transphobic now. But uh, it was a famous scene for somebody realising that they'd uh, made an alliance, shall we say, that they weren't so fond of on reflection. I thought yeah. it was quite... It is ironic, isn't it? I thought that myself, you know, with my big brain. How do you mean? But hang, well, you know, they were slating him, and he was hounded out, wasn't Well, Who's they? Was the tabloids, right. papers, broadsheets, um, Guardian. And just people, just people in general. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah, Twitter. Generally, Twitter metropolitan, middle-class... Yeah. Mm, woke 40 year olds. <laughs> like me? Yeah, like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and yeah, it's just all swaps now, isn't it? And because he's saying something against Bojo. Yeah, it's part of this, this partisan um, yeah. uh, duality that people get sucked in, this tribal nature of our consciousness that politicians use to divide us and uh, I, plays yeah. off each other. I'm not like a Bojo fan, but <laughs> from what I've seen of him be buffoonery on the television, you could see how some of the things that have been stated in Dominic Cummings's blog could have been said in a joke in conversation. Yeah, and he's just putting them in saying this happened and he quite truthfully is saying this actually happened or was said but the context within which it was said is completely lost isn't it so the one that came out this week was the pile the bodies high quote <laughs> what did Bojo exactly. say rather than have a I'm paraphrasing the yes. attributed quote but 
He would rather see the bodies pile high rather than call a, another national lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's been... So, and then they come out and say, well, it's been confirmed by the Daily Mail, the Guardian, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, fucking People magazine. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know. Yeah. He could yeah. well have said it, but... Again, it's context, isn't it? And... Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I, on a personal note, (laughs) I've applied to join the Theosophical Society. Okay. How'd you get into that? Do you have to read Madame What's-Her-Face's Blasky's? Good shout. Yeah, she she was a founder. I know. Yeah. Madame Blavatsky's... uh... No. Right? No. Do Do you have to pay? Oh, yeah, it's expensive as well. How much is it, you had to say? £20 a year. Oh, well, that's not that much. No, it's it's a token, <coughs> and if you are someone in financial hardship, um, financial hardship will never be a barrier to membership. Theosophy. To membership of the society, yeah. So, okay, you what know. do you get, though? What's um, doing it for you? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to join the Bolton Lodge. <laughs> There's a lodge. Oh yeah, that guy said, didn't he? Gary Kidgel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He said, yeah. There's quite an active lodge in Bolton. It is the nearest lodge. Mm-hmm. So probably some Zoom, some Zoom chats, Zoom yeah. meetings. Mm-hmm. Try and uh, collaborate, learn from other people from their experience. Probably get some great tips on books to read. Mm-hmm. I would hope. Yeah, I would imagine people who've been studying, looking into this stuff for decades. And years, years longer than me, they'll have some great tips. The website has a big video library, including including presentations from previous guest Gary Gidgel, mm-hmm. which you'll get access to. They have a, a second-hand bookshop online. You can order books for two, two and three pound. Mm-hmm. Used books. It's a charity. So it's a registered charity. Um, and the, the sort of core tenants um, sort of jive with me. I can't, I should have pulled it up really so I could quote them, but um, well, maybe I can do. Maybe I can do. It might take me a minute. I'm trying to think of... Um, anyway. It, it has like a mission statement, not a mission statement, but like a, a sort of mm. philosophy behind what the... <coughs> a bit sort of like... The things that you should agree with if you want to become a member sort of mm. thing. I don't know. I don't know. I can't even spell it. <laughs> Theosophical Society. I wonder if it's on the uh, the old homepage. Oh, that's Wikipedia. That. Oh, here we are. England. It's a worldwide community whose primary object is the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction based on the realisation... Without distinction, sorry. Based on the realisation that life and all its diverse forms, human and non-human, is indivisibly one. Right. Uh, Where's the uh, mission statement? Here we are. Mission statement. This is for the international one. I'm in the England one. To serve humanity by cultivating an ever-deepening understanding and realisation of the ageless wisdom 
spiritual self-transformation and the unity of life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Different from the one I read. <laughs> oh, here it is. The three objects. Here we are. This is what I read. Uh, the three objects of the Theosophical Society. Number one, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or colour. Number two, to encourage the study of comparative religion, philosophy, and science. Down with that. Number three, to investigate the unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in man. Absolutely. Sign me up. So I have done. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Yeah, it should be good. I'm uh, looking forward to my first meeting. I'm assuming it all goes well. I don't know when it'll be, but it's just like, you know, I think that it's a weekly thing, usually. You meet up every week, if you can, for an hour or two. And mm-hmm. Chew... I was going to say... I was going to say chew the shit. <laughs> That's a mix... <laughs> That's a new mixed metaphor. Chew the fat and shoot the shit. Oh, right, meet up right. and chew the shit. Chew the shit. Chew <laughs> <Eat> the fat. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so that should be good. Mm. I'm forward to that. Good. What about you? What are you up to? Because, you know, it's... Uh, fucking hell, it's, uh, it's a bank holiday. Yeah. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit slow on the uptake. Just gardening. We've just been sewing out in the garden a lot over the weekend. I've Why, been tricked. I've been tricked into moving 140 concrete paving slabs. 140. That's how many were at the bottom of the garden. Yeah. Plumbing heck. Yeah, the fucking loads of them. They weigh a ton as well. They are? Yeah. What did you move them with? My fucking hands. Really? A crowbar, and they're just stacked up on one of the tiers. You've not brought them up? No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get some pleb to do that for me on Facebook, (laughs) and I put them on there for free. A member of the pleb (laughs) Urbanus. Yeah. So I've made a trade hopefully for somebody down the road, he's going to have some of them. I don't know how many, maybe like only like six. So Mm. I've got 134 remaining um, that I need to get rid of. Right. So, yeah, so what I'll do is I'll get my... Oh, no, I'm going to use six of them, maybe more as well, to make a a smaller patio in a a new area of the garden that I've created with my wife. Right. Yeah, so we'll see. Six. That's a small patio. <laughs> yeah, two foot by two foot, so... You don't get much garden furniture on that. She just wants a small table and two chairs, that's all. It's right. not like... It's just for her to sit in the morning and be grumpy and drink <laughs> tea. That's, uh, yeah, heavy... Uh, that's proper manual labour, that. Uh, yeah, it took me quite a while to do them. Mm. I did it in like, I didn't have a day, so it was like all done in hours and half an hour and two hours. Oh, God. That's even yeah. worse. So I think I did five rows in about 
an hour and a half one day. That was my max. That was my max speed. And we are sore. I still am. Yeah. You yeah. find that you use muscles you didn't know you had. Yeah. When you start. Mainly, mainly around the groin. <laughs> when you start um, hulking heavy <laughs> shit. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, you ended up, uh, you'll end up with a, I don't know. Oh, here we go. <laughs> you'll end up with a twisted dick. Grab his dick and twist it! Oh. <laughs> yeah. Considering how many strong beers I'm in, I'm in. Quite well. Yeah, I'm a bit slow, but you know. Yeah. You know, I don't know, bring it on. Do you want to make a phone call? Go for it, I don't mind. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Have we have we here? Uh, are we spent? I've spent my. I was spent it. You know, after, halfway through Tobias's interview. <laughs> oh well, I've got a I've got a message here from okay. the uh, the CEO of Skype. Okay. Hi, America. I'm the CEO of Skype. To everybody out there watching this, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart. You and double fuck your stupid Zoom account, Terry. I'm, let me get my fucking point out for a second. What the fuck is Zoom? Why settle for anything else when you can have the original? <laughs> but really, why? Why would you do that? Where did we go wrong? What can Zoom do that Skype can't? Well, it uh, uh, Zoom can support up to a thousand callers. A thousand? Why would you want to be on a call with a thousand people? Please do Skype or I'll die. As God is my witness, you ungrateful fucks, I will have my... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it tickled me that. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? (laughs) It's gone, isn't it? Mm. And isn't is that a, is that a separate company or is it part of Microsoft? I'm sure it was Microsoft Skype, wasn't it? Fucking who who calls the company Microsoft? <laughs> Honestly, but it's Teams now, isn't it? So it, can't, it might it must it, it can't be part of Microsoft because they have Microsoft Teams, don't they? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, sold it. It's a loser. Zoom's yeah. here. It's taking over. Maybe. Just wait till you get injected with nanobots. Injected with nanobots. <laughs> it's on the soundboard, it must be true. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah. Shoot me up. Shoot me up with those nanos. Alright, fucking plays out before we're just here for another half an hour. Yeah. It's time to go. Um What are we on next week? I've completely fucking Is, is it... it is it Giants, Adam? Yes! Yeah, Adam Stoltz is back next week. Don't know what we're going to talk about. It'll be interesting, though. Might be giant. They, they might be giants. We might talk about the church of the LDS church. Um, who knows? We might talk about the apostolic era. I think that might be good to talk about, the apostolic era, because I think Adam's a big fan of that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, cool. Come back next week. Chest feeding. Come. Come back. Yeah. Take care of yourselves and each other. Let's go to Wakanda, Wisconsin. <laughs> Tell me how much you love your anal sex. Come here, goose, you big communist. Grab his dick and twist it! Oh.
people are suffering. Oh, God. I got hairy legs. Because I'm literally a fool. I got hairy legs. I'm a blind man. Put on your fucking muzzle if you go to the shop. I'm a Marxist. Because I can smell for. I can smell for. Happy birthday, huge anus. It's also a host plural called Fooders Accountable. The most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever. Fuck off.